0: the 9th of July. The headlines, Bedfordshire police slash ta- traffic cop numbers serious concerns over Mepershall care home and Woodhill prison officer on press payment charge.
1: BBC three counties radio.
0: Bedfordshire police have made the largest cuts to traffic police numbers in Britain according to a leading road safety charity. Brake say the number of road officers in the county have been slashed by almost 44% over the past five years the average across England, Scotland and Wales is 12%. Tony Fisher has more.
2: According to Brake, the number of traffic officers in the Thames Valley has gone down
3: by 16% and around 10% in Hertfordshire. Bedfordshire Police, however, say the figures given to Break are incorrect and the number of traffic officers in the county has actually reduced by 16%. The charity says that cutting this part of the force is a
0: false economy. Concerns about conditions at a central Bedfordshire care home have prompted the council to stop sending any new residents there. The decision has been made in light of a report from the Care Quality Commission. In an unannounced inspection in May, inspectors found that there was a shortage of staff, residents' calls for help were ignored and bathroom facilities hadn't been cleaned. A prison officer from Woodhill in Milton Keynes is to be charged with four counts of conspiracy to commit misconduct in public office. Scott Chapman had been charged, along with his former partner and three journalists. The Crown Prosecution Service says there's evidence he was paid for information about a high-profile prisoner. One of the journalists faces charges over payments to public officials at Thames Valley Police. It's emerged that Mark Bridger, the man convicted of killing five-year-old April Jones, has been slashed in the face while in prison. He was attacked with a makeshift knife after being set upon by another inmate at Wakefield Prison on Sunday afternoon. He was taken to hospital where he required stitches before being returned to his cell. A rulings inspected from the European Court of Human Rights in the case of three convicted murderers who are trying to reduce their prison sentences. Jeremy Bamber, who killed five members of his family in 1985, the serial killer Peter Moore, and Douglas Vinter, who killed his wife and a work colleague, argue that their whole life tariffs are inhuman and degrading. The Labour leader, Ed Miliband, is expected to propose a major change to the party's relationship with trades unions in the wake of a bitter round with Unite over the selection of a parliamentary candidate in Falkor- Falkirk. Mr Miliband is to suggest that members of trade unions affiliated to Labour should no longer automatically pay a political levy. The Deputy Prime Minister in the last Labour government, Lord Prescott, says it's a bold move. When I
4: took part in the debate, which is 20 years ago, one member, one vote, that was highly controversial, followed by clause four. There was a great ruckus but we got down to a debate we've implemented them and we're getting on with it and this is part of that change which is moving on to party funding.
0: Sport now and in cricket Glenn McGrath says Australia could benefit from being the underdogs for the Ashes series the former fast bowler also insists that the Aussies change of coach ahead of the series was the right move. The weather dry with sunny spells and a top temperature of 22 degrees Celsius. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties.
5: Yeah. (laughs) All right,
2: here we go. (laughs) I suspect it's going to be one of those shows. First things first... We're not sure if the phones are working, so can can we get a trial phone call in by one of you listeners? Basically, we've, we've turned up at BBC Three Counties Radio. This is either a cyber attack... The likes of which we've never seen before, or the Sellotape and blue-tack holding this whole charade together has fallen off. So, apropos of nothing apart from just testing how technology works, could you give us a call? 08459-455-555. If no one calls, I won't assume there's no one listening, I'll assume it doesn't work. Certainly haven't got the internet. I haven't got the internet, it's 2013 and I have no internet. 08459 455 555. We've got a caller. Just put them through. Let's just find out who that is. The phones could be working. The whole show is dependent on this. I'll tell you what's coming up in a second. Just whack them through, Kelly. This is exciting. Hello, who's this? Oh, gosh, no, they're not working. Hello, Ruth. Hello. Ruth, you you called in. I did. The the phone is working. It is. Okay, that's all we need, Ruth. Thank you. No problem. Ta ta, there we go. You see? (laughs) Well, that's a relief. I can carry on. (laughs) Mary's called in as well. Thank you, Mary. Okay, then I shall continue with the show. The European Court of Human Rights is due to rule on whether murderer uh, Jeremy Bamber and two other killers should have their life sentences reviewed. The three murderers argue that the whole life tariff breaches their human rights. Well, simple question. Should life mean life? Traffic police numbers in the UK have been cut by almost 13%, with the biggest reduction in Bedfordshire... It's got a cut of 44%. Oh, we'll find out what beds police say about that figure. But is it too easy for motorists to get away with bad driving? Can we all do it? Is there anything that wrong with bad driving on the motorway? And their retail figures are out later today. They're expected to show a further fall in clothing sales. Why did you fall out of love with Marks and Spencers? Now we know the phone works, 08459 455 555. No point in me giving you any other contact details. We've got no internet, we've got no text, we've got nothing. So if you want to speak to me, 08459 455 555.
6: Across beds, hearts and bucks.
1: This is BBC Three Counties Radio
2: stagger through this together, hand in hand. It could be a little bit stop-start, but we'll do our best, and I know that you'll tolerate our shoddy nonsense as you do every morning. Now, is it too easy for motorists to get away with bad driving? And be honest, if you're on the motorway, everybody drives badly on the motorway, don't they? Traffic police numbers in the UK have been cut by almost 13% in England over the last five years. That's according to figures from the road safety charity Brake. It says the biggest reduction has been in Bedfordshire, where road police have been, cut, uh, been reduced by nearly 44%. Well, Bedfordshire Police was the focus of the BBC's Traffic Cops programme last
7: year. Every year, more than 25,000 people are killed or seriously injured on Britain's roads. It's just heartbreaking, isn't it? in order
8: to reduce road
7: casualties.
9: See your tyres here?
7: Hello, how are you? The traffic cops in Bedfordshire are cracking down and giving tickets out for any traffic offence.
10: You're wasting everybody's time and your own.
7: No matter how minor they may seem.
9: If there's a collision, the dark windows could be a result of the fact you can't see who's coming either side. A lot of people that we stop. They're only dealing with the police is when we've stopped them for the seatbelt, for the mobile phone. To them, that's quite minor, but they don't see the catastrophic incidents that we go to and what we have to deal with.
2: Well, Brake says that cutting this part of the force is a false economy. Richard Cocteau is from Brake, joins me now. Morning, Richard. Morning. Richard, you found that Thames Valley reduced its traffic police by 16%, Hertfordshire 10%. Why do you think this is a false economy?
10: I think essentially what we know is that um, traffic police can, can quite often uh, pay for themselves through the ability to stop potential crashes. And uh, what we know is if there aren't traffic police out there stopping people from drink and drug driving, from using their mobile phones, and um, that collisions will increase. And uh, it's estimated that each road crash costs uh, the economy just short of a million pounds. Um, so it's certainly crucial that we have traffic police out there to stop people. Um, who are creating what is known as, as minor offences.
2: Each road crash costs a million pounds? How?
10: Well, it's, it's essentially a case of you sometimes have to shut down parts of roads, um, the recovery costs of, of repairing and, and things like that. So A
2: million pounds? I'm, I'm, sh- I'm shocked by that figure, and I'm not quite convinced that I believe it. Where do you get that from?
10: Uh, that comes from uh, a number of different research reports that, that have been produced in the past, Um but as I say, it's essential that, that we continue to have more traffic police on the
2: Well, what are those reports, Richard? Because I'm going to have a little look at those after the show.
10: I don't have them in front
2: right. of me, Right, ah, okay, right, okay. Uh, but the thing is, we have speed cameras. We've got CCTV covering our roads. Is it really essential to have so many traffic police?
10: It is, yeah. As I say, I think the traffic police do a fantastic job and are a, a crucial resource to have available. Um, certainly what we know is is that if you do have traffic police out there... Um, it's a great deterrent. It makes people think twice about potentially committing offences on the roads. Um, don't get me wrong, completely understand there is a, a fantastic benefit of having things like speed cameras, uh, but certainly knowing there are more traffic police out there as well does help to create a deterrent. <laughs>
2: Quite often when we talk about uh, uh, traffic police, the the majority of people want the police to um, uh, pursue, in inverted commas, real crimes, like sex crimes and robberies and stuff like that. It makes more sense, doesn't it, with budgetary constraints, to focus on on crimes like that than than, uh, people speeding or using their mobile phone.
10: I I do agree with you, and I think from our perspective what we would like to see is, is actually a call to government to make further budget available for uh, local police forces to enforce and, and bring out more traffic. But that's police.
2: not... Richard, we know, in, in, in the real world, we know that's not going to happen. When, when, when the police forces are facing huge slashes to their budget, they're not going to give them a few more quid to get them out on the roads, are they?
10: Well, that's, that's essentially our job, is to make sure that we're campaigning and pushing the government hard to make road safety a national priority uh, and ensure that traffic policing is sufficiently resourced to tackle drunk, drugged and, and other dangerous driving offences.
2: Uh, Beds Police say that the, f- the, the figure of uh, 44% reduction is, is incorrect, that the actual uh, percentage decrease is 16% in traffic officers.
10: Sure. I think what, what's happened there is, and um, they did explain to us that there'd been a clerical error when um, reporting the statistics to ourselves. Um, on the on one hand, it's great news, in fact, that there's not quite as high a number as, as perhaps we first thought, uh, and we're certainly very, very happy that it, the number has, in fact, decreased over what we, we originally reported.
2: Uh, we were speaking to a, a former traffic officer yesterday, I remember my team was, who said that it, it, they're as expensive to train as a CID inspector. I would rather, Richard, that they um, we did train more CID coppers. And, and instead of Listen, everybody drives badly on the motorway. You always see people on their mobile phones. No-one sticks to the speed limit. It, it, having extra coppers out, really, on the roads, is that where you want to see the money go?
10: Absolutely, yeah. I think, ro- as, as I mentioned, road safety needs to be a priority. As a charity that supports people who've been bereaved, families that have be- been bereaved in road crashes. And we know all too well the, the effects of crashes, particularly on motorways, as you mentioned there, you know, if you're driving at a higher speed.
2: As everyone uh, does, it, no one sticks to the speed limit on a motorway.
10: Well, that, that's why traffic police are, are crucial and hopefully trying to drive down those numbers and preventing people and acting as an actual deterrent to stop people but taking. But all people that
2: do when they see, a, tra- when they see a, a traffic officer pulled up on the hard shoulder or wherever they are in those little lay-bys, they slow down for that bit. And then they speed up again straight after, don't they?
10: Well, you would hope not. Um, But they
2: do, (laughs) Richard, they do. I don't know if you've been on the motorway, but they do. That's, 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 everyone knows that.
10: I, I, I think you're entitled to an opinion, but as I say, I think traffic police are out there to stop people from, from doing that.
2: OK, Richard, I, I, I don't think they do, but thank you very much indeed. Richard Cocteau from Break. A couple of things there. I'm not sure how every road accident in Britain costs a million pounds. If someone can back up those stats, then please do. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. And we've seen it, haven't we? You see a police officer in those laybys on the motorway. Everyone slows down to 68 miles per hour. Once they get outside, everyone speeds up again. Where would you rather see the money spent? Quick straw poll, dear listener. Would you rather see the money spent on traffic cops or on, in inverted commas, proper police officers? 08459 455 555. Three Counties Radio. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number.
6: Right, let's get the travel now. Here's James Wally.
1: Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio.
7: I see in northbound M1s partially blocked between 11 and 12. That's Dunstable up to Flittig. The left lane is closed after an accident happened just after half past, well, at around half past five. No delays at the moment for what we can see on the cameras and sensors. Southbound M1, London bound, certainly getting busy, but no problems what I can see. M25. That is I would right, have read. Moving well through that says rim, Junctions 23 and 25. And if you're heading onto to the tubes into London, severe delays. Uxbridge uh, to Axon Town because of a single failure earlier at Ealing Common. I'm James Hawley, BBC Three Counties Radio.
2: Thank you very much, James. Right, 615. It is Tuesday, the 9th of July. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Bedfordshire police have made the largest cuts to traffic police numbers in Britain in the last five years, according to a leading road safety charity. Central Bedfordshire Council will no longer send elderly to Meppershaw Care Home after a damning report from the Care Quality Commission. In sport, Andy Murray says he's already looking forward to walking out onto Centre Court next year as Wimbledon champion. Coming up, should life mean life? 08459
6: 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Nick Coffer on BBC Three Counties
0: Radio.
11: On Wednesday, I'll be live at one of the world's biggest horticultural events. The Hampton Court Palace Flower Show is in its 23rd year and I'll be bringing you all the colour and excitement from this year's event. I'll be speaking to exhibitors from across beds, hearts, and bucks about their blooms and bulbs and we'll all be learning about the difference between a Latherus odoratus and a Synapis arvensis. Join me live at the Hampton Court Palace Flower Show Wednesday from midday here on BBC Three Counties Radio.
2: Now, here's a question. Should life mean life? I think I know what most of you are going to say. The the European Court of Human Rights is due to rule on whether murderer Jeremy Bamber and two other killers should have their life sentences reviewed. Bamber, along with serial killer Peter Moore and Douglas Vinter, argue that the whole life tariff tariff is inhuman and breaches their human rights. Matt Leach has more details. Morning, Matt. Now, these are rather unpleasant gentlemen. Remind us about what they did.
12: Well, certainly, Ian. Uh, Jeremy Bamber, a very notorious case, was jailed in 1985 for murdering five members of his family in Essex, Uh, his parents, his sister and her two young sons. Uh, Douglas Vinter from near Middlesbrough strangled and stabbed his wife to death 13 years after murdering a work colleague. And Peter Moore was a serial killer who murdered four gay men in North Wales in 1995.
2: Can you explain exactly what a Whole life tariff is?
12: Well, yes, whole life tariffs are clearly reserved for the most serious murderers. Basically, it means someone is told they will spend the rest of their natural life in prison. There's no review. Life uh, in those circumstances, as you were saying, really means life. Uh, They can only be released on compassionate grounds, for example, if they're terminally ill or seriously incapacitated. And 49 people are currently serving whole life tariffs. Uh, These include the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, the Moors murderer, Ian Brady. And more recently, uh, murderers who received the sentence include Mark Bridger, who killed five-year-old April Jones, and Dale Cregan, who murdered two police officers. Bamber
2: Moore and Vintner, uh, uh, what are they hoping to get from the European Court of Human Rights?
12: Well, as you mentioned earlier, they're arguing that whole-life tariffs breach their human rights. They claim that denying them any prospect of release amounts to inhuman treatment. And uh, they say the situation, uh, if you like, extinguishes all hope, ...and is a breach of what's called Article 3, which protects against degrading treatment and punishment. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in, the, in effect, what they're saying is that they do have a right, or should have a right, to have their sentences reviewed.
2: And the, the case has already been before the, the court, hasn't it?
12: Yeah, that, that's right. They narrowly lost their first European court hearing last year... Four of the judges ruled against them, but there were three in their favour. Uh, and at the time, one of the judges, who agreed with the men, said that you should never extinguish all hope, however tenuous or remote that, that hope might be. And uh, their case has now been moved up a level, if you like, referred to the Grand Chamber, and a decision is due around about half past nine this morning. Uh, just to mention, the position of the UK government is strongly opposed to this case, Uh, Last year, the Court of Appeal in London upheld the principle of the whole life tariff, saying it is a draconian penalty reserved for cases of exceptionally serious criminality.
2: Matt Leach, thank you very much indeed. What a waste of time and money.
12: What a waste of time. Oh, Jeremy Bamber. Oh, no, you've extinguished uh,
2: my hope. Well, you you extinguished your parents' hope when you murdered them. You fruitcake. Well, it's, it's a pretty simple question. What do you think? Should life mean life? 8459 455 555. Oh Jeremy Bamber's got no hope. He's got nothing to look forward to. Well, what about those people he murdered? Isabel. I let it fall. Three Counties Radio, we're at a technical loss. We have no internet. It's like 1995 all over again. What a dark year that was. So, if you want to get in touch, phone calls please. The texts are down, the internet's down, the emails are down. Phone calls. 08459 45555. I mean, you can go to the internet if you want. You're probably all slagging us off on Facebook as it is. For goodness sakes, doesn't matter. You say what you want to say. No, 08459 five, 555. Double, five, double, five. Now, our intrepid sports team of Jeff Doyle and Luke Ashmead are on their bikes. They're riding the length of the Olympic torch relay route across beds, hearts, and bucks. They've been stopping at towns along the route to speak to volunteers, legacy leaders, Olympians and aspiring Paralympians, as well as other people involved in the sport. Will they join me now? Good morning, gentlemen. I saw you both hobbling <laughs> in to BBC Three yeah. Counties this morning. How are you feeling?
1: Oh. oh
2: God. <laughs> Oh blimey listen to that that's awful. It's not like yesterday yeah, no, no. morning now we've got, we're fine. We'll like, get going. We, it's like we've
13: gone live to an old people's home. <laughs> it feels a little bit like no uh, we're absolutely fine just a few little aches and aches and pains. Very very tight shorts this morning Luke I could see everything I could see your budgery guard. <laughs> thank, thank you thank you very much yeah. Yeah um, thank you
2: very much. <laughs> Whereabouts are you this morning and what's the plan?
7: <laughs> we're uh, we're in Luton in the heart of Luton at the moment and the plan is we go from Luton to Dunst Dunstable to MK, MK to Luke?
13: Yeah, 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 you you get lost there, MK to Buckingham, Buckingham to Winslow, Winslow to Whitchurch, Whitchurch to Ellsbury, Ellsbury to Stoke Mandeville, and then we finished at Wollaston. And of course, where we are right now, St George's Square, 12 months ago today, Lewis Hamilton carried the torch here in St George's Square for the first leg of this trip from Bedfordshire into Buckinghamshire.
7: We got li- lots of um, nice uh, well wishers yesterday. There were there were people beeping their horns as we w- rode past. There was one lady who came out as I came down the, the hill towards Luton who had a little flag waving us uh, waving us along. I don't know who she thought we were, but anyway, it was quite a nice touch. So we've we've had lots of support since we've been doing this. Met loads of decent people. And it's it's. I think what we can do today as well is speak to you average punter to see whether it's affected them because we've been speaking to a lot of the sports people, haven't we? Yeah. And let the them, we'll, yep. and we'll maybe speak to. You, you know, you average Joe and find out whether he has uh, felt that there has been a legacy.
2: You talk about one year ago today. This, that was one of my first ever gigs for yes, BBC Three Counties Radio. Yeah, I remember it very well. Cause it, it, but I was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I was very nervous. My, it was an outside broadcast, which are always slightly trickier, yeah, yeah. as we've discovered. Yeah. And uh, I, I stood there like a plum going, I don't know what I'm doing.
13: Well, I, it, it, you may, maybe didn't, but you carried it off and it was a great day. I think It most, was a very exciting day, was wasn't it? It was a day. And I think, you know, when you have a moment like that in history and you, and you get to be part of it. I was on the convoy, of course, on the lorry that uh, was in the horse box that was in front of the, uh, the, the runners all the way through to... Uh, Wadston So I spent the whole day with, with the torch. It was, um, it was a, a, a very, very special moment. And from that, plenty of stories. And we're going to be hearing some of those stories today. Penny Green, who actually ran the torch in Dunstable, uh, we're actually heading to her first. So we'll be hearing from her uh, during uh, your programming in, in about an hour's time. Um, she's done a massive work and carried the torch in the Dunstable stretch. So we're going to go and meet up with her. Later on today as well we're going to be talking about tennis, we're heading through Buckinghamshire finding out about a sub-aqua club and it's not just the Olympic sports that, uh, that uh, have uh, come from the Olympics, it's, it's other sports and activities and volunteering and coaching uh, that have all come from the legacy of, of 2012.
2: The thing I remember about it was I was very cynical about the Olympics and wasn't that bothered, but... I can't imagine you being <laughs> cynical about the Olympics, <laughs> you know? I know, it's so unlike me, isn't yeah. it? But even, even I was was sucked into it all o- on that day in St George's Square because it was very exciting, and, and there were so many people there. Were you moved? I, ju- I was a little bit moved, yes, I was a little but bit. It was, it was quite powerful. But was it enough for the legacy to inspire you, Ian? Well, in as, in as much as I've literally taken up no sport since then, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> That's what we were fearing there, yeah, I think. Right, yeah. boys, get on your bicycles, go and do some riding, and we'll speak to you in a little bit. OK, see you later. See you later on. Yes. Ta-ta, there we go. It's uh, our sports team. Uh, Luke Ashmead, Jeff Doyle... They've had nice weather for it, although a little bit chillier this morning than it was uh, yesterday. And I don't know if you heard them uh, riding around yesterday throughout uh, throughout the day. It certainly was a lot of fun. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Should life mean life? Well, Uh, who's this, Uh, Linny? Oh, it's texted in. We've got the texts working. Sing hosannas. Eight one three double three. Start your text. Three CR. Yes, life should mean life. How can these murderers talk about their human rights? What about their victims' rights? Love, Linny. And then she's put a kiss at the end, which kind of just, just detracts from the, 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 the harshness of the message, just, just makes it a little bit softer. A spoonful of sugar, as Mary Poppins would sing.
1: Travel news for beds, hearts and bugs.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio.
14: 1 northbound there's a lane closed an accident between junction 11 at dunstable and 12 at flittick lane 1 the inside lane is the one that's shut right now and for the moment traffic does seem to be moving quite well on the speed sensors looking at the cameras in the area as well and not too much trouble Pointers Road in Dunstable, you have this major closure now. They put the closure in yesterday morning and it did get quite busy. Pointers Road is shut for reconstruction works between the A505 at the Tesco roundabout and Wheatfield Road by the Woodside Industrial Estate. Your diversion takes you down the A505. Boscombe Road and Ports Avenue so it could cause disruption between Dunstable and Luton there. Great Cambridge Road in Hoddesdon. they're still doing the roadworks at the New River Arms roundabout where it meets the A10 and if you're making a journey toward London, the Piccadilly line tube runs with severe delays Acton Town to Uxbridge because of a signal failure at Ealing Common. Things on the mainline trains though looking absolutely fine. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio.
2: Adam, thank you very much. Catherine, take your time I've got a packet of prawn cocktail crisps and going will enjoy
1: this. Here's the news headlines Catherine Boyle. Kiss me Thanks
0: Good morning, the headlines. Bedfordshire police have made the largest cuts to traffic police numbers in Britain in the last five years, according to the road safety charity, Brake. Central Bedfordshire Council has stopped all new admissions to the Mepishall Care Home following a damning report from the Care Quality Commission. And a prison officer from Woodhill in Milton Keynes has been charged in connection with allegations he sold information about a high-profile prisoner to the press.
1: Three County Sports.
0: BBC Three Counties Radio. Former Wimbledon champion Stefan Edberg is expecting Andy Murray to return to the tournament next year, having won even more Grand Slams. Murray says he's already looking forward to walking out on, on centre court in 2014 as a defending champion, and Edberg, who won the title twice, believes the British number 1 is only going to get better.
15: Winning the first one it's, it's the crucial one, and uh, he did that last year at the US Open. Obviously he won the Olympics last year, which sort of, without winning the Olympics it would have been hard to win the US Open, and once you've done it once, um, you know, done it twice here, so I believe... Um, he he can still win a lot more slams here and uh, he's got a few really good years ahead of him and now he's done it for sure he'll be more confident winning them again.
0: Aston Villa have confirmed that striker Christian Benteke has handed in a transfer request. They say they'll act on offer to the mat to evaluation of the Belgian, who hasn't travelled with the squad for a pre-season training camp in Germany after being given extra time off. Glenn McGrath says there's Australia could benefit from being the underdogs for the Ashes series. The former fast bowler claims tomorrow's first test will be as big as any that's ever been. He also insists that the Aussies' change of coach ahead of the series was the right move.
2: It got to the stage where something had to happen, and with Darren Lehmann coming in, I think it's what Australia really needed at the moment they'd be pretty happy with the build-up they've had the two matches they've had, batsmen scored runs the bowlers have taken a few weeks, it's got a good workout so you know, I think they'd be pretty happy with the lead-up and with Darren Lehman being there I think it'll really bring the team together
0: And that's your latest news in sport, you should have just about finished his crisps, he smashes a few more in.
2: They've gone in the bin, perfect timing you were keen there weren't you? <laughs> you started a little bit early.
0: I thought with all the technicals well, I might be going a cappella. What? With you your know, top no, off? No. <laughs> you wish
6: <laughs> Across beds, hearts, and bucks. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio.
2: Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Should life mean life? Jeffrey Bamber and others. You know the name Jeffrey Bamber. Very nasty gentleman. Killed lots of uh, members of his family. Oh, it goes against his human rights. He's going to be in prison forever. Steve uh, has uh, is on the line. Morning, Steve
8: morning. What do you think? Should life mean life? Well, if you're going to put them in life, we should have a good hanging outside the town hall every Saturday and hang them all, but, all the lifers. But then that would mean death. Yeah, well, so what? I mean, we, we, <coughs> what do you think the army does to keep us safe? Sorry? They kill terrorists. they kill other bad people. So what's the What's the difference? Why don't we kill the bad people in our society, but they can't do it again? We're not... going to waste the money. Steve, I, I,
2: shall, I, shall I give you... We're not going to do should we bring back hanging. Shall I tell you why we can never bring back hanging in this country?
8: Oh, go on then.
2: Or shall I tell you why? It's an, it's an, it's an excellent reason. Because go we on. have murdered innocent people before. Well, So if, there's a, cha- if oh. there's a chance that we could, ki- we could hang the wrong person, as we have done in the past, we can never bring it back.
8: Yes, we can, because we've got better technology now, better... Um... Um, you've got DNA. You've got other right. pr- better procedures, so still, you, you've, you've got s- less chance. You've got less chance.
2: You've got less chance. You're right, Steve. Yeah. You've got less chance, but there is still a chance we would the state well, would execute well, the wrong person. Say,
8: I'd rather hang ten, and if one is innocent, well wow. I'm
2: afraid it's the ten percent. But that's life. Ten <laughs> percent. Imagine, imagine if that, that if that ten um, percent in that ten percent, one of them was your your yeah, son. Would, yeah, I know we're going to say that. I know, but. that's would that be all right?
8: Reality. Of course it would be all right. Well, it's then there you reality. go. It would be someone's son that yeah, was yeah, but, killed. Surely if someone's in that scenario, they must be close to that. <laughs> in that scenario, They've got to be within the vicinity of that area. To so so they, they probably deserve to die anyway. No, not really, no. But you, you're, being, you're being unrealistic. You wait No, you're being
2: unrealistic, way. saying if no, someone no, is no, at li- no, if someone has been accused of that murder... Right, l- no, let's, no. let's use a fictional scenario. If someone has been accused of that murder, even if they're innocent, the fact they've been accused means they were probably nearby anyway.
8: Well, not I I've been a bit more involved in the situation. Not, not walking past or driving past in a vehicle. Right. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, surely we should get... Why should we pay for a prisoner for life... It's cheaper to put them in the rich than it is to get them locked up. You might as well put them in the rich when you're going to give them life. Why not just hang them? Save us millions.
2: I've told you why we can't hang them, Steve, because be we, have killed, we have killed innocent people before. Well, we can't
8: be, do be, that be, again. Be, hold on, hold on. Let's go for innocent people. What about all the wars that we've just had the last ten years? How many innocent people do you think we've killed?
2: Far too many, Steve.
8: Far no, too well, many. We, so your argument is squashed. We've killed no, thousands. my
2: argument my argument is valid, because I don't think we should be killing those people either. Steve, we're going off on a tangent, or, as always. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Steve there thinks, and I don't want to do the bring back hanging because that means tomorrow we'll be doing legalised cannabis and on well, Thursday we'll be doing what sweets you remember from the 70s. No. But Steve thinks that if we, if we should hang everybody, it doesn't matter if we get 10% wrong. 10%! Wow! Should life mean life? 08459 four double five five double five. You can text as well, 81333. Start your text 3CR... We can't access the internet, so you can say what you want about us this morning. There's nothing we can do about it. a story that received international uh, uh, coverage. The captain of the wrecked cruise liner, the Costa Concordia, will uh, go on trial in Tuscany later. 32 people died after the ship slammed into rocks off Giglio Island by the west coast of Italy in January last year. Two of the bodies have never been found. Well, here's part of an audio recording from that night of the Coast Guard telling the captain to get back onto the ship.
16: Are you refusing to get on board the ship, Captain? Tell me why you are not getting on board. I am not going because there is the other lifeboat that has stopped. Get on board. That is an order. You declared an abandoned ship, now get on board. Is that clear? Can you hear me? Get on.
2: Well, there was a huge story at the time. Captain Shatino faces charges of manslaughter, causing a maritime disaster and abandoning ship. Well, our Europe correspondent Duncan Crawford is in Grosseto in Tuscany where the trial will take place. Duncan, what do we know about what's going to happen later?
17: Well, Ian, it's probably going to be a relatively brief hearing today. The actual deliberations may be uh, postponed because of a national lawyer strike taking place. It's not 100% certain that Captain Francesco Scottino is going to attend, although we believe he he will. But still, there's a lot of interest here in the start of the trial. It's actually being held in a theatre to accommodate all the interested parties, all the journalists from around the world who want to be here to see the captain stand trial to be scrutinized for his actions on January 13th of last year when the Costa Concordia crashed onto rocks it had more than 4000 people on board at the time as you say he's accused of manslaughter and abandoning the ship at the height of the emergency charges he denies the prosecution will argue he was carrying out a risky manoeuvre to show off the boat to the island of Giglio, a so-called salute, and that the evacuation was badly delayed due to the decisions he took. His defence will argue he's been made a scapegoat and that others should share the blame for what happened as well. If he's convicted, he faces up to 20 years in prison. Uh, a woman at the time, a tour rep called Dominicus Samorton, she was the subject of intense media speculation about her relationship with the captain. She's defended him. There were reports of a romantic link between them, put it that way, and that her presence may have distracted him, she denies that and says that Captain Scatino did everything he could to save the ship.
0: Some people would like to believe, and they want to know I have something with him, it's more interesting, it's like, you know, some spicy in the story. But in real life, it's about the tragedy, it's not about me and him, it's about his action, it's about people there, you know.
2: Duncan, is the ship still there?
17: Yes, it is still there. It hasn't moved. Still, you have to say it's a bizarre sight because uh, while it's still stricken on the rocks, lots of salvage work going on. There are now it's summer here, so you've got people on this small beach by the port, sunbathing on the rocks beside it, you know, swimming in the sea very close to it, and it's just bizarre to see that you know people you know on a holiday with the looming wreck of the Costa Concordia. Right beside them, the the hull of the boat has now turned a, a rusty yellow color. You can still see the tennis court, which was on the top deck of the boat, uh, the baseline uh, of. The court is underwater still, and there's a lot of salvage work. Like I say, it's surrounded by rigs and cranes. You can see salvage workers going back and forth on little boats while they uh, try to refloat this ship, which the operation's been continually delayed. Eventually they want to refloat it and and, uh, take it back to the mainland. Here's what uh, some of the tourists who are there have been telling me about the ship.
18: It was like in the middle of winter, so I can imagine the water being cold and they all had to swim out there, and I bet it was really bad for them. It's kind of normal for me now because I've been here for so long, but every now and then I look at it and just think about it, and it's just crazy how it all happened.
12: It's impossible to think how near to the beach the ship is. We just saw it, and it was a little bit bizarre.
2: Duncan Crawford, thank you very much uh, indeed. The, the, I, I was surprised when I saw it on the news this morning. I assumed it was old footage, but the ship is still there on its side. It's incredible. When are they going to move it? You can give us a call this morning, 08459 four double five five double five. We have no computer access, which is awful feels a little bit uncomfortable. You can slag us off as much as you want on the Facebook page. There's not a thing we can do about it. Uh, We're asking, should life mean life? Uh, Jeremy Bamber says it infringes his human rights. He has no hope because he says he's never going to be released. Well, um, I guess maybe you shouldn't have murdered all those people. And also, um, Break, the uh, road safety charity, uh, are upset at the number of police cuts to to traffic police, particularly on the motorways. The thing is, do the traffic police on motorways actually do anything. If you see them in those little lay-bys, you slow down for a bit to about 67 miles an hour, and then as soon as you're out of sight, you speed up again. 08459 455555.
1: Travel news for beds, cards and bugs.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio. Still problems on the northbound
14: M1. There's a lane closed because of an accident between Junction 11 for the A505 and 12 at Flittig. It's the inside lane, Lane 1, that's shut. Traffic getting past it without too much trouble. On the M25, you've already got slow traffic going into the roadworks section anti-clockwise from Essex at Waltham Abbey toward Enfield at Junction 25. And then it's busy because, anti-clockwise, we've got a lane closed on the exit slip road at Junction 23 for the A1M. There's a broken-down vehicle there, and of course, that's the very end of the roadworks section, so through the works is looking very slow. It's also busy from the M1 to Kings Langley, and from Maple Cross to the M40, so quite slow on the M25 already today. Things looking fine, though, as you make your way along the A1M. And on the trains, no reported problems. Tubes, though, Piccadilly line. Severe delays Acton Town to Uxbridge because of a signal failure at Ealing Common. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. We'll have more from him in 15 minutes
2: right now. 6.46. It's Tuesday, the 9th of July. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Bedfordshire Police have made the largest cuts to traffic police numbers in Britain in the last five years. That's according to a leading road safety charity. Central Bedfordshire Council has stopped all new admissions to the Meppershall Care Home following a damning report from the Care Quality Commission. In sport, Aston Villa have confirmed that striker Christian Bentecki has handed in a transfer request. Coming up, we'll be talking about Mark and his mate Spencer. Do you still love M&S? Merchandise sales are down, of course. Food sales are up. When did you fall out of love? with Marks and Spencers. 08459 455 555. 6.47, let's get the weather now. Here's Elizabeth.
19: Beds, hearts and bucks
6: weather.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
19: Hello, good morning to you There's some patchy mist, of some fog and also some patchy low cloud around at the moment, particularly across parts of Bedfordshire, down through Buckinghamshire, oh I can just spot some in Hertfordshire as well, um, but that should clear, it's going to be burnt back by the sunshine through the morning and it will turn into another very warm and sunny day once more. Just a light northeasterly breeze, today's top temperatures probably somewhere between um, say 25 and 27 degrees Celsius I think in Aylesbury in Bedford. And in Stevenage as well, it's going to be another beautiful day with plenty more wall-to-wall sunshine to be had. Into this evening, a lovely end to the day. Overnight tonight, we're going to see some low clouds spread in from the east once more, and there'll also be some more patchy mist and fog. Quite an uncomfortably hot night again for many of us. Um, Temperatures dropping between 13 and 15 or 16 degrees Celsius, perhaps. Tomorrow, uh, there will be a little bit of sunshine around, uh, best of that, towards western areas of Buckinghamshire through the morning um, after that mist clears. that is, but gradually it will turn cooler and Cloudier through the day, you really notice the difference. But don't worry, the sunshine will be back by Thursday afternoon, and then Friday is looking. I'm better. wearing a
2: short sleeve shirt today!
19: Yeah, it's all right, don't worry. It's only tomorrow. No, Paula but. And Claudia. Oh, okay,
2: so today <laughs> we'll be fine?
19: Weren't you listening? Not, I wasn't,
2: actually. No, oh, <laughs> I was A&E. checking my phone.
19: Is, you were checking your phone. I hope you weren't looking at their weather forecast.
2: Yeah, mm, so, <laughs> so, just remi- just sorry, I wasn't paying any attention, Elizabeth. Will, will, I'm coming to London today. Yeah. I might see you later. Uh, w- oh, will cool. I be warm?
19: Yes. Sweet. Gorgeous. Uh, even and across the three counties as well, because that's what we're talking about rather than. Uh, London. You're
2: right, absolutely right. Yes.
19: <laughs> Anything else? Yeah, lovely today, cooler and cloudier tomorrow. Sunshine's back by the end of the working week. Watch out for some showers on the on Saturday. There we go.
2: Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Now she is a professional.
6: If you've missed any of the programmes from the last week, you've missed things like this.
20: As far as that woman's concerned, I agree. with the previous call, she's the biggest race you ever met in my whole
6: darn life. But there is a way you can hear it all again. You speak like a pig. To, oh, I'm going to do grand to you too. You, you, you the speak man, like a old cow. Go to bbc.co.uk slash three counties and click on listen again. All of our programmes are available for seven days, allowing you to listen to what you missed. BBC.
2: If I'm completely honest, Jonathan really does attract a, a much lower class of caller than the ones we get on this show, doesn't he?
21: Smile, an everlasting smile Her smile can bring you near to me Don't ever let me find you gone Cause that would bring a tear to me This world has lost its glory Let's start a brand new story now, my love Right now, there'll be no other time And I can show you how, my love Talk in everlasting words And dedicate them all to me And I will give you all my life I'm here if you should call to me a I love that song. It's only words And words are all I have To take your heart away It's only words And words are all I have To take your heart away There was
2: a cracking interview with the BG that's left. I can never remember which one's which. The one that looks like a lion. Anyway... He hated the other two. They hated each other. And you'd think now the other two have passed, he'd be a bit, you know, I miss those guys. But it doesn't at all. Incredible. Anyway, uh, the Bee Gees, words. I I love 60s Bee Gees. Not so keen on 70s, hate 80s. 60s Bee Gees, I think, are fantastic. That and Gotta Get a Message to You, wonderful, wonderful songs. And when that came on... Oh, what a romantic song. Beautiful, gorgeous. Who, who could have anything apart from good memories associated with that? Well, someone who could have uh, bad memories with that is uh, uh, Kelly Betts. Morning, Kelly Betts. Morning. Now, Kelly, you were just telling me a little story while that song was playing. What's your association with that song? Oh,
19: I feel a bit sick just thinking of it. So there's this boy that I really liked at school. Yep. And he came over during that song at a school disco. Lovely. He said, would you like a dance? Oh, romantic. Heart in my mouth, of course I'd like a dance. Yeah. Had a little dance... Uh, During the song, during our dance, he kissed another girl! I don't
2: understand the...
19: While I was in his arms.
2: I don't understand the the geography of this. How could he kiss someone else while he was holding you and dancing with you? I don't
19: really know. His head just wasn't... He leant over and kissed... Someone his head else. was in
2: something. He leant over and kissed someone else.
19: For a while. I did not know, do I just stand here and carry on, or do I leave? Or... So I went and sat down, but I don't think he noticed.
2: Oh, no! Kelly Betts. Well, listen, If we can throw that out there. If you've ever been humiliated at a school disco, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Ah, Marks and Spencers. I'm popping into Marks's later on today because they're the only place that do shirts with an extra two-inch on the sleeves. Otherwise, my shirts come up short. It's the only place. But do you still love Marks and Spencers? Their retail figures are out later today. They're expected to show a further fall in clothing sales. General merchandise sales were down uh, 4.1% last year, although food sales went up a little bit. Well, later on we'll hear what you have to say about this. Uh, but not, I know lots of you do like MS, but it's obviously not hitting the mark with everyone. Have a quick listen to this.
22: I would only shop in there for certain things now, um, so food, possibly uh, nightwear, lingerie, but things like knitwear, I just don't know what their market is now. So, no, I wouldn't shop there for things like that anymore.
2: Well, I'm joined now by fashion expert, fashion expert from Milton Keynes, Nancy Stevens, who runs Altered Image MK. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, Ian. What do you think of and Spencer's clothes?
9: Uh, personally, I wouldn't shop there. I think uh, the problem that Marx have um, made is that they've tried to be all things to all women and, and failed to sort of meet their core demographic, which is kind of middle England. So I think they're trying to be trendy in parts, um, they're a little bit, you know, they're, they're sort of their, their core demographic is 50-something women, um, which has turned that that sort of peroon range is really frumpy, and they just haven't hit the spot, um, so speaking. Food, obviously, fantastic, but clothes, I personally wouldn't go, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy anything, I wouldn't even buy lingerie in there now.
2: Every few months, their figures come out. Every few months, we do the the, the story about why have you gone off Marks and Spencers. Surely they just need to to close the clothing department, don't they, and focus on the food that they do so well.
9: It's not that straightforward. They've had a few um, different buyers over the years, and obviously whoever chooses the clothes is the person who you know determines what what's in fashion. Yes, sack well, them. Yeah, but it's not um, th- this year's buyer, Belinda Earl, only started last year. And in retail terms, it's not been soon enough, so we won't know what it's going to be like until the autumn collection comes out because she's not been in the job long enough, so uh, see what this collection's like autumn winter. Yep. if this doesn't hit the mark, then I think they're screwed.
2: Wow, d- d- I mean this has been going on for a long time, and you say that, that they could be screwed. Do d- you think they could um, be facing serious dramatic changes?
9: they're going to have to look at it because, you know, they, they, they have lost their demographic because, as I say, they've been try, they're trying to be all things to all women. And, that, you know, you can't please everybody. So they need to get back to what they were good at in the first place, which was sort of their essentials, their lingerie. But, you know, there's, there's so much competition out there. I think that's part of the problem as well. There's so many other stores that do it better. Uh, Marks & Spencer's customer service is fantastic. But that is about it. And people want more than good customer service. They want a bargain as well. And Marks & Spencer's isn't that, it's not expensive, but it's not cheap. So I think everybody wants a bargain, but they also want the customer service that comes with it. They also want to know where their clothes are sourced. I mean, as, as consumers, we have become incredibly fussy about what we want now. It's not, it's not like it used to be when you just, you know, went and had your first bra there. People think about where they're going to go and have their first bra fitting now. They're not just going to go into marks because it doesn't have that kind of, they feel anymore. It's just, it's, it, needs, it needs a strong pair of hands at the helm, and I don't think that's what it's had for a long, long time.
2: Big shareholders meeting uh, today, and I'm sure those shareholders will be voicing concerns. If you had the chance to tell them one thing they should be doing differently, Nancy, what would it be?
9: Go back to what they were good at and stop trying to be, you know, to to please everybody. You know, 50-something women, Middle England women are, you know, that's what their their demographic is. They need to work on the clothes range for them. But make sure that these, you know, these women who have the money, 50-something women have more money than anybody else. Uh, they, they need to have the clothes that they like, so that they are fashion-forward. Not, you know, not mutton dressed as lamb, but not too trendy as well. So they need to, they need to, I think, look at the 50-something range because that is what Marks and Spencer's is all about, in my opinion.
2: Nancy Stevens from Altered Image MK. I tell you who they need to get in as the buyer, my mum, my mum, because she used to love Marks and Spencer's. She'd spend a fortune in there. She goes to Next all the time now. They should get my mum working for her. Well, when did you fall out of love with M&S? I'm going in today. I buy pants, socks and uh, long sleeve shirts. That's it. When was the last time you went to M&S? What did you buy and when did you fall out of love with it? 08459
1: 455555. Travel with Adam. Travel news for
14: beds, cards and bugs.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio.
14: I still go there all the time. Mind you, only when there's a sale on. Because that's when it's best. M1 northbound, there's a lane closed following an accident between junction 11 at the A505 and 12 at Flittick. The inside lane is the one that shuts. Traffic getting past though, pretty reasonably well. Southbound, it's a little slow as you come from junction 10 at Luton Airport toward 9 for the A5 at Redbourne. M25 anti-clockwise already slow into the roadworks. Waltham Abbey to Enfield looking busy. You have problems coming to the end of the roadworks section because on your anti-clockwise exit slip to the A1M at junction 23, there's a broken down vehicle and that's causing a little bit of a queue. As you continue around anti-clockwise, it's slow from the M1 to King's Langley and from Maple Cross to the M40. Already a bit busy on the A1 through Boreham Wood, from Stirling Corner toward Apex Corner, and the Piccadilly Line Tube now down to minor delays at Acton Town to Bridge after signal failure early this morning. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio.
2: Thank you very much, Adam. Coming up in the next hour of the show, when did you fall out of love with Marks and Spencers? And should life mean life? Dwayne on Facebook says, yes, life should mean life. More of your
1: comments after this. On FM, AM, online and digital radio.
6: This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Morning at 7 o'clock, I'm Catherine Boyle. The headlines, Beds Police slash traffic cop numbers, April Jones killer attacked in jail and Woodhill prison officer on press payment charge.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Bedfordshire police have made the largest cuts to traffic police numbers in Britain, and a move that saves little money and risks lives according to a leading safety charity. Brake's latest report suggests the county slashed the number of road officers by almost 44% over the past five years. Thames Valley have cut 16% and the figure for Hertfordshire is 10%. The average England, Scotland and Wales is 12%. Brake spokesman Richard Cocteau is warning any savings made are a false economy.
10: Traffic police can, can quite often uh, pay for themselves through the ability to stop potential crashes. Uh, what we know is if there aren't traffic police out there stopping people from drink and drink driving, from using their mobile phones, and um, the collisions will increase. Uh, it's estimated that each road crash costs uh, the economy just short of a million pounds. Um, So it's certainly crucial that we have traffic police out there to stop people um, who are creating what is known as as minor offences.
0: Concerns about conditions at Meppishall Care Home have prompted Central Bedfordshire Council to stop all new admissions. The decision's been made in light of a report from the Care Quality Commission. In an unannounced inspection in May, they found that there was a shortage of staff, residents' calls for help were ignored and bathroom facilities had not been cleaned. uh, Gail Sanderson has more details. The CQC carried out an unannounced inspection of the home in May. It had identified concerns with the care, safety and welfare of the 70 residents, many of whom have dementia. It found there was a shortage of staff and residents were calling out for help but being ignored and toilet areas hadn't been cleaned. Central Bedfordshire Council say they've raised concerns about the home's ability to improve care quality on a number of occasions. In a statement, the home says it's working hard to improve standards. It's emerged that Mark Bridger, the man convicted of killing five-year-old April Jones, has been slashed in the face while in prison. He was attacked with a makeshift knife after being set upon by another inmate at Wakefield Prison on Sunday afternoon. The Grand Chamber of the European Court of Human Rights will give its ruling this morning on the appeal by Jeremy Bamber, who murdered five members of his family in Essex in 1985. They're claiming that their life sentences without review are inhuman and degrading and breach their human rights. Ed Miliband is to set out plans for a fundamental change in Labour's financial relationship with the unions. In a speech today, he'll signal an end to the system where unions automatically pay affiliation fees of £8 million to the party on behalf of their members. In sport, and Murray says he's already looking forward to walking out onto Centre Court next year as Wimbledon champion. He's told the BBC he cannot imagine what the experience will be like, but says hopefully we'll do it all again next year. The weather, dry, sunny and very warm, with the top temperature of 29 degrees Celsius. That's 84 degrees Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash threecounties. counties. Thank
2: you, Catherine. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Three minutes past seven. It's Tuesday, the 9th of July. Wowzers coming up on the show this morning, including, should life mean life? As you heard in the news, the European Court of Human Rights is due to rule on whether murderer Jeremy Bamber and two other killers should have their life sentences reviewed. The three murderers murderers argue that the whole life tariff breaches their human rights. Well, what do you think? Should life mean life? Traffic police numbers in the UK have been cut by almost 13%, with the biggest reduction in Bedfordshire. Well, is it too easy for motorists to get away with bad driving? I'm on the motorway a lot. Everyone, everyone drives badly on the motorway. Don't they? Oh, I bet you're the exception. And their retail figures are out later today. They're expected to show a further fall in clothing sales. Why did you fall out of love with Marks and Spencers? 08459 455555, send me a text 81333, start your text 3CR.
6: Across Beds, Hearts and Bucks,
1: this is BBC Three Counties Radio.
6: Across Beds, Hearts and Bucks, this is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio.
2: Traffic police numbers in the UK have been cut by almost 13% in England over the last five years. That's according to figures from the road safety charity Break. It says the biggest reduction has been in Bedfordshire, where road police have been reduced by nearly 44%. But that figure has been disputed by the county's police force. Bed's police say figures given to break in October 2012 are incorrect and did not include all officers within the roads policing unit, and that the reduction is actually only 16%. In the Thames Valley, the figure, figure is just over 16%. In Hertfordshire, traffic police have been cut by around 10%. But what do you think about this reduction? Do you think that having traffic cops out and about makes a difference? Or is it just a way to get money? Oh eight four five
7: nine 555. Justin, you've been out and about. Where have you been? Uh, I've been talking to motorists in Hertfordshire. Ian, when was the last time you actually saw a traffic cop? Can you remember? Because I- I'm out on the roads every day. I don't see them. You could say they're unmarked, but... I don't see the visible traffic cops. I see what
2: I see. I drive on the motorway a lot. I do about 80 miles on motorway uh, uh, a day. And... Maybe once every couple of weeks, I'll see one parked up on the motorway and those little lay-bys yep. they have. But they don't actually do anything. All that happens with those is, people see it, because it's up on a little ridge, they slow down to 68 miles an hour, then when they're out of sight, everyone goes off at
7: 85 miles an hour again. Exactly like the speed cameras, that they slow up and then they speed off again. But um, I have been talking to motorists, I've been asking them whether we need more traffic cops, and this is what people had to say. Definitely. Definitely need more. Can you tell us why? Accidents, people on the phones... A danger to the public. Yeah. I mean, obviously cuts are going to be made somewhere, but you think that's the wrong place to make cuts then, clearly. 100%. So has it become just way too easy now for motorists to to do whatever they want out there? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. There's not enough not enough
11: police out there to, to check up on it.
7: O- on an average week, what do you see out there? What, what are people doing?
11: Uh, basically, mobile phones. That's the biggest issue for me. We drive home and there are thousands. They don't care. Six ninety nine for a hands-free kit, but they'd rather go on the phone. It's important for them to talk to their loved ones. Well, if they cause an accident and kill me, that's unfair, isn't it?
4: Yes, we do. I think we do, yeah. More on the road would be much better. Is there a desperate
7: need for them? Because motorists now think they can do what they want because they're not going to be caught if they're on the mobile phones.
4: That's right. A lot of people do drive around mobile phones, texting. Richard, you're a lorry
7: driver, but you seem to think that you haven't noticed uh, a decrease in the amount of traffic cops out there. I haven't, no. I mean, do you feel like you're being treated fairly by the traffic cops?
4: Certainly not. No, they, um, they just seem to victimise more lorry drivers. They want to... S- They want to try and get the European lorry drivers that come over. Them's the ones that've got the the dodgy lorries, dodgy trailers, fall asleep at the wheel, watching the telly and all that lot. We're just trying to earn a living. So what have you been pulled over for, then? I've been pulled over because I forgot to indicate changing lanes. I I thought I indicated, but they said they didn't see it. They found out that I had a bulb out. I can't see what the bulb's doing on the back of the trailer. If it doesn't indicate fast on the dash, I don't know, do I? Stupid things. Like, um, they thought I was on the phone when I was driving. But I have a Bluetooth on my ear, and that. You see it every day on that M25 and at the bottom end of the M1, I've seen thousands and thousands of motorists shaving, getting dressed, doing the makeup in the mirror. Ridiculous, All yeah. sorts. You mean? The traffic police are only going for lorries because it's a slower moving vehicle, wouldn't it? They can, they can nab you quicker than they can in a car. A car just woof, well, especially in motorbikes and things like that. They just put dear. their toe down, and they're away. We can't. We're stuck.
7: Got no sympathy for that last fella, Justin. Well, you know, it's interesting. We, we, we talk about the traffic cops. Clearly, the traffic cops are, are doing their job and doing it well. If that person's saying that he didn't indicate and the police pulled him over, if he had a faulty bulb and the police Tough. pulled him over, the police are clearly out there and they are doing their job, aren't
2: it, they? It, everyone thinks, whenever they get pulled over by the cops or they get a ticket or whatever, everyone thinks, oh, they're always <laughs> picking on me. It wasn't, my, I wasn't, it wasn't my fault. If you're driving a lorry, then you should know whether your indicators are working or not.
7: Absolutely. You know, I, if I have to look at my own personal experience, if I had been pulled over by the traffic police, it's because I've done something wrong, whether it be speeding, whatever that may be, and you've just got to take it. But but he makes the point there, and, and I'm sure, again, a lot of our listeners will back him up here, the ridiculous things that you see on the motorway, people shaving, putting on yep. their makeup, but the police, sadly, they can't be everywhere to pick those people up, can they?
2: Justin, thank you very much indeed. I'm joined now by Kevin Delaney, former head of traffic at Met Police, now at the Institute of Advanced Motorists. Kevin, what do you think about um, reducing uh, uh, traffic police numbers?
23: I think it's it's regrettable. Um, It it certainly hasn't... It's certainly been going on for a lot longer than the five years in the brake survey. I mean, we, we have seen, really, since the mid to late 1990s, gradual reductions in the number of traffic cops by individual chief constables and there are a variety of reasons, a lack of priority given by the Home Office to traffic policing, um, the growth of cameras which, which has reduced the reliance if you like on traffic cops to deal with speeding, um, funding problems which existed long before the present range of cuts and nowadays of course the growth of the police and crime commissioners, who, and to the best of my knowledge and belief, not one of them has actually identified traffic, traffic policing as a priority, either in their manifesto or since they became elected. So there's a whole raft of reasons why it has happened. Um, and all of them are valid, uh, and I think none of them are going to go away.
2: Traffic officers are very expensive to train, aren't they? What, what makes them so expensive?
23: Oh, they're, they're, they're hugely expensive, both to train and to equip. They're, they are probably the single most expensive you know, sort of resource in, in, in any police force, more expensive, really, than CID officers. Um, they have to be trained to drive and perhaps to ride a motorbike, to a far higher standard than the driving test. They have to receive training in traffic law and things, and things like that. They have to be given state-of-the-art the equipment, you know, no, 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 sort of no savings on, on, on crash helmets or leathers for, 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 for traffic cops, I guess for fairly obvious reasons from the employer's point of view. And, of course, they have to have the top-of-the-range bikes and cars to go with it. So they are hugely expensive.
2: Uh, earlier on, I spoke to Richard Cocteau. He's from Brake, And he says that every accident on the motorway costs the economy around a million pounds and that cutting this part of the force is a false economy. Have a listen to this, Kevin.
10: The traffic police do a fantastic job and are a, a crucial resource to have available. Um, certainly what we know is, is that if you do have traffic police out there, um, it's a great deterrent. It makes people think twice about potentially committing offences on the roads. Um, don't get me wrong, completely understand there is a, a fantastic benefit of having things like speed cameras, uh, but certainly knowing there are more traffic police out there as well does help to create a deterrent.
2: It hel- helps to create a deterrent, Kevin. Do you buy into that?
23: I don't disagree with the word of that. It, 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 you know, police, traf- Traffic police officers, in fact police officers anywhere provide law-abiding people with a, of some form of reassurance, and they provide a visible deterrent to those who might be tempted to break the law. So I don't have a problem with that. I think that there are, there are two issues, though, that, that we really need to consider here. First and foremost. The fact is, and I don't understand why, and nor I think does anybody else, that during the last 10 or 15 years, when traffic cop numbers have been gradually reduced, we have not seen an increase in death and injury on the road. In fact, we have seen continuing decreases. Now that's counterintuitive because if the law isn't being vigorously enforced, how is it happening? But the simple fact is that year on year on year we see less death and less serious injury on the road and long may that continue. The other point of course is that, it, you know, chief constables have a budget. They have to balance that budget. If they're not going to make cuts within traffic cops, which area, I wonder, would your your listeners like them to do it? Would would it be anti-terrorism? Would it be crime? Would it be the Friday and Saturday night violence in the town centres in your area? So
2: are you saying, Kevin, and I I completely understand your point, are you saying that, that road safety is less important than those things?
23: No, I'm not. I'm not saying it's less important than those things at all. But what I'm saying is that, what we're, you know, that chief constables will have to save a, a lot of money. I mean, we're, we're in a situation where the chief, where, where the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, the best funded police force in the country, is going to sell Scotland Yard. Because he, because he considers that it's no longer affordable. So when chief constables are facing you know, sort of decisions like this, then they are going to have to make unpopular cuts. I wouldn't, you know, given a choice, I would not want to see traffic cops reduced. But I have to say, if I were a chief constable, I would seriously be considering, amongst other things, reducing traffic commitment because the budget has to be balanced.
2: Kevin Delaney, thank you very much. Former Head of Traffic at Met Police and now at the Institute of
1: Advanced Motorists.
6: Call 08459 455 555.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
6: It's
2: a story that we do every few months. Every few months the figures for Marks and Spencers come out and the figures for the clothing is down significantly and the figures for the food is up a little bit. I will be going into Marks and Spencers today in Oxford Street in that there London because I buy some new socks. I always buy socks. My wife keeps stealing my socks they, uh, and, and keeps having them, which is very annoying. But mainly because uh, they are the only place that sells shirts that are long enough for me on the sleeves. I've got long arms like an orangutan. And uh, they, they, they sell shirts with an extra two inches. By the way, if you know anybody anywhere else that sells shirts with an extra... L- length in the sleeves. Could you send me a little cheeky text? 81333. Start text 3CR. But I'll go there. But that's it. I don't particularly like the shirts. They just fit. I don't like any of the other men's clothes. They're a bit... a bit naff. What was the last thing you bought from M&S? And when did you fall out of love with it? Oh eight four five nine four double
1: five 715. Travel now. is Adam. <laughs> Travel news
14: for beds, cards and bugs.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio.
14: Still one lane closed on the northbound M1 after an accident early this morning between Junction 11 at the A505 and 12 at Flitwick. The inside lane is the one that's shut. The accident happened about half five. Southbound looking a little bit slow from Junction 10 at the Luton Airport Spur toward nine at Redboard for the A5. On the A5, a bit slow from Lynch Hill toward the Luton Road. Pointers Road in Dunstable remains closed. It's going to be shut off through till mid-September. This is for major reconstruction works. It's closed between the A505 at the Tesco roundabout and Wheatfield Road at the Woodside Industrial Estate. And the diversion takes you along the A505 Boscombe Road and Ports Avenue. M25, anti clockwise. There's still a lane closed on the exit slip at junction 23, the A1M, because of a broken down vehicle. This is causing long delays through the roadworks. It's looking very slow all the way back into Essex now, back as far as the M11. It's also slow anti clockwise from the M1 round to Kings Langley, from Maple Cross to the M40. Short delays on the A1 through Boreham Wood toward London, Stirling Corner down to the Apex Corner Junction and Piccadilly Line Tube still runs with minor delays, Acton Town to Uxbridge after a signal failure at Ealing Common. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio.
2: Thank you very much, Adam. 7.16, Tuesday the 9th of July, I'm Ian Lee, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Bedfordshire Police have made the largest cuts to traffic police numbers in Britain a move that saves little money and risks lives. That's according to Break. Bed's police contest the charity's figures. Concerns about condition at the Mepeshul care home have prompted Central Bedfordshire Council to stop all new admissions. In sport, Aston Villa striker Christian Bentecki has handed in a transfer request and not travelled with the squad to a pre-season trip to Germany. Coming up, we'll hear how our sports team, Jeff and Luke, are getting on cycling the length of the Olympic torch relay route across Bed's hearts and bucks.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio.
7: Who can forget this time last year? I'm looking down on Gail Embs running through central Milton Keynes. The Olympic torch relay lit up beds, hearts and bucks.
24: When you had that flame, it was you. In the whole
3: of the world, you had the Olympic torch in your hand. Today,
7: we'll be cycling the torch route and speaking to people involved in the sporting legacy.
3: All
13: we need to do is work very, very closely with the local clubs and schools to start to develop the sport of grassroots. Follow us throughout the day and
7: find out just how the Olympics inspired sport for all of us. As
22: soon as it started, we signed up and done it on the first
7: day. Three Counties Sport, cycle the Olympic torch route all day today, here on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning.
2: Several of you saying you can't get the station online. We've had a few technical problems this morning. Um, uh, what do you want me to do about it? Come round to your house and fix your computer? I can't. But we will get our um, team of boffins what we'll do is we will send an email file a report and in about 3 4 weeks time our team of boffins will get straight onto it so fingers crossed fingers crossed by let's be let's let's be generous by the end of august you should be able to hear us again now our intrepid our intrepid sports team of jeff doyle and luke ashmead are on their bikes to ride the length of the olympic torch relay route across beds hearts and bucks They've been stopping at towns along the route to speak to volunteers, legacy leaders, Olympians and aspiring Paralympians, as well as other people involved in the sport. We can go to them now. Morning, Jeff. Morning, Luke. Good morning, Ian. Morning. One, one question is, I know that you and you guys and Tony Fisher, you're all sporty guys and one of the fun games you like to do is laugh at how I pronounce sportsmen's names. Never. Yo. Did I get Christian
13: Benteke right? Yes. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. look at me. Yeah. Wasn't
13: too impressed with your uh, pronunciation of Kimmy right in yesterday, but, um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll gloss over that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you cheeky sports boys, I'm going to get a wet towel and flick your behinds oh, with I it. do hope so. <laughs> Where, whereabouts are you and what's happening this morning,
13: well, boys? We, uh, yeah, we left St. George's Square last time you spoke to us. We made very good progress, I have to say. It took, uh, took me about 25 minutes to cycle to Grove House Gardens. We've had a little bit of time to stop, just get ourselves together, organise ourselves for the next leg. Yes, so we're in Dunstable and then the next stretch is going to take a good hour and a half because we're going from Dunstable to Milton Keynes and Toddington Hill could be an issue. We're avoiding, in the A5 uh, by advice from... More than one cyclist, actually. Our very own Paul Scoyne said don't use the A5. Adam Fares, who uh, cycled with us yesterday, said don't use the A5. So it's a slightly longer route, but we feel a much safer route as well. And uh, here in Grove House Gardens, in Dunstable, a beautiful, warm, clear, sunny day. A bit more breeze today, uh, Jeff. Yeah, uh,
7: my, my issue, in is that somebody said to me when I said I was cycling up Toddington Hill is that cars struggle to get up there. I mean, that's not what I need to hear. Well, listen,
2: because I know that you're, 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 for some bizarre reason, you've obviously got it written into your contract, you're, you're sort of slightly wimping out in that only one of you is riding at a time, so I suggest you toss for it. Uh, it's,
7: it's, it's, the route's been decided. This was, uh. this was, this was signed off a long time ago. Okay. do about
13: that. Okay. Don't about that. We have got a special guest with us here, though in Dunstable. Oh, Ooh, go on. You can try and you can try and come to us when we're trying to climb that hill live, if you like. We'll try and organise that in, so you can hear him puffing. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> right, let's let's talk to our guest here, who's made the effort to come out here this morning. And 12 months ago today, you were waiting where Penny Green from the Down's Heart Group? Uh, come and tell us.
22: By this time, uh, we actually we were on the bus. You're on the bus. We were on the bus, and we were all hyped.
13: <laughs> I mean, what? Just explain your feelings on that day: excitement, nervousness.
22: Uh, nervousness to start with, and then they got us really, really excited, and it was like being on a cloud, actually. We were all completely hyped up and waving frantically at the crowd. <laughs> when, where did you start? Where was your leg? I was actually the very last leg out of Dunstable, so um, it went from me into the lantern and then by car up to Milton Keynes, so I was the very end.
7: So, Penny, since that day, that torch has been to quite a few places, hasn't it? And that's another legacy.
22: Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's been to various... Um, meetings, schools and things like that it's been out to Nigeria To
13: Nigeria. (laughs) Tell us about that
22: Uh, Well I have some links with the Down Syndrome Foundation out there and um, I went out last year for the third time to help them and they said bring the torch so I said okay I'll bring the torch had to get special permission to take it on the plane and everything because it wasn't going in the hand luggage just in case (laughs) I got there and it didn't (laughs) Um, and I think the funniest thing with that was actually going through uh, security at Heathrow because it was in a case so you couldn't see what it was and I kind of said do you need me to take that out and they said no they didn't know what it was. I was going through the x-ray machine and the guy on the x-ray machine kind of was watching the screen and then he suddenly looked at me and he went is that what I think it is so I said well Depends what you think it is. And he said, (laughs) an Olympic torch. So I went, yeah. So having tried to keep it all nice and discreet, he then shouted at the top of his voice to the entire security section in Heathrow, I've got an Olympic torch So more
13: people to have the picture (laughs) taken with. (laughs) Um, Let's just rewind a little bit. Why were you nominated in the first place? Tell us a bit about the Downs Heart Group.
22: Um, The Downs Heart Group is a small national charity for anybody who has a link with somebody with Down syndrome who has a heart condition, which is about 50% of them. Um, I've been involved for over 20 years now since I had my little boy and lost him and um, basically we support families provide information, support anything they need as they travel through the journey um, of having that child as they grow into an adult
7: and when you took the torch to Nigeria was it, it, you were giving it out to the kids and they were pretending to be Usain Bolt
22: yep Yep, they were all having their photos taken <laughs> and they were all doing you know, Usain Bolt with it. So obviously, you know, Usain Bolt's very popular in Nigeria.
13: <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've we've talked over yesterday and, and today, we'll talk about the legacy of seeing, you know, more young people t- take up sport, but there's a different legacy, isn't there? There's a different legacy from your perspective, how you can spread the word of what you do, not just in this country, but around the world.
22: Yes, I mean, it's it's been a wonderful opportunity. There were people, where on, when I actually carried the torch, watching all over the world on, on Torch Cam Live, people that stayed up till silly o'clock in various countries to watch and um, we've got a, a very strong global community and uh, yeah it's, it's been an ideal opportunity um, for instance I was able to help um, Watford Mencap had a fundraiser earlier this year where um, they had a Paralympic torchbearer and some of the games makers and I went along and of course they had a really wonderful speaker Seb Coe, so That was really good as well. I got to meet him.
13: (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic story, isn't it? Great story. And, um, Ian, we have... uh, Penny has her torch in front of her here and I never, ever get tired of seeing this uh, Olympic torch. It's very special.
22: Do you polish it? Do you shine it up? I don't actually, but it's probably covered in fingerprints. I, I could probably fingerprint half the world by now. That's but... <laughs> by
13: your Olympic torch. And one final thing, you, you were presented with this lovely picture that you have in front of you here as well, and that was a just a memory of your of, of Sebastian Coe as well.
22: Yeah, they, it was it was presented by the sp- the sponsor that put me in, and um, basically they sent it out afterwards. as a, one of the, the official photographs from Torch Cam, and um, a little sheet that dates states your name and the date you did it. And when I met Seb Coe, I actually said, "Would you mind signing this?" And he's personalised it and said we couldn't have done it without you, which thought was really nice. Oh,
13: that's wonderful. Listen, you, it's a great story. We've loved following you from the moment before the torch all the way through the last 12 months and to now. Penny, thanks very much.
22: No problem. Thanks very much for having me. No I've, got problem. To,
13: I've got to say, Penny's got the uh, the gold Olympic torch, but the shoes.
22: Oh, we missed the, the, the gold shoes.
13: Trainers. <laughs> they, they are a special touch. Ian, do you fancy a pair of gold trainers?
22: Um, you, I'm all right actually,
13: but thank you very much for the offer. <laughs>
7: they
22: got they, they actually got mentioned on Torch Cam <laughs> on they? the day because yeah. I wore them on the day. Yeah,
13: loving that. They are Usain Bolt style. <laughs> they are very very nice. Um, we are now setting off on leg two, Ian. It's uh, it's Jeff's turn. He's going from. Dun Dunstable to Milton Keynes. Uh, we continue throughout the day. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and you can send messages as well through uh, the various programmes. And that's us in Dunstable. Chaps, thank you very much. Get on your bikes. And if you
2: pass in uh, Costa, I'll have a large skinny latte. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, concerns about conditions at a central Bedfordshire care home have prompted the council to stop any new residents from moving in there follows the publication of a report about the Mepishul Care Home by the Care Quality Commission. It identified concerns with the care, safety and welfare of the 70 residents, many of whom have dementia. The CQC found that there was a shortage of staff. Residents were calling out for help, but staff were ignoring them. The toilet areas hadn't been cleaned, and less than 50% of the mattresses on the beds were clean and free from stains. Just incredible. Well, Dr. John B is from Action on Elder Abuse and joins me now. Uh, oh, yes. John, when you hear stories like this, uh, it's just outrageous, isn't it?
25: I, I, it is outrageous, and we do need to be outraged and expect something better for um, our elderly relatives, and one day maybe for ourselves. Um, and there are too many reports like this, and and we need to bring about a real change in in the quality of care. What can we do? Places. What can we do, John? Well, first of all, I want to say that most people working in the care industry do a very good job. Most of the time they don't get much thanks. Most of the time they don't get very much reward. What we've got to do is to say, well, if I was going to be there, what would be good enough for me? And 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 I'm afraid it starts with two basics, which is money and good management. Um, And we have to make sure that both of those are in place. Does
2: the CQC have any real power to make this care home and others like it actually
16: improve?
25: Oh, it does in terms of, uh, I mean, it can, if, it, if the rep- improvements they require um, don't take place, they can they can shut the home. So there's a, they have a, a great strength in terms of regulation, but of course there are a great number of homes and CQC can't get round them all every week. Um, and Homeowners, where there is something wrong, can be very good at covering up problems.
2: What should the relatives at uh, 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 this home do? Do they have the power to make things better? I mean, they can go in obviously and k- kick up a stink, but, but can they change anything?
25: Um, well, I mean, I think the, the ultimate thing, of course, is these are mostly commercial organisations and uh, you can move your relative to somewhere where you're happier. Of course, the cheapest places are often the places where perhaps they've cut corners... Uh, And if money is a problem for you or the council, then that is where things can go wrong. But, yes, you can go in there. And, I mean, if you have a relative there, how often are you visiting? And are you checking her her or his bed? Um, Are you checking the, you know, you can tell you walk into a place and it smells of urine. There's a problem there. And you need to be saying, well, why is this? And anybody can have an accident. But if it's something that's not being addressed and the quality of the food, are the staff talking to the residents or are they ignoring them?
2: The thing is, sometimes in these places, they put on an act because you're there visiting and then you don't know what happens once you've gone, do you?
25: Absolutely. I mean, that is the problem. But of course... Um, you know, when you were checking out, if you were checking out anything else, you'd go on the internet, you'd uh, talk to contacts, you'd uh, ask, look in the media, you'd, you'd be making an effort to find out if there was anything known. But I think the point you're making in, can pay places cover up um, malpractice? Yes, they can. So um, then you've got more a more difficult task. But I mean, you know, if the relative you've got there is depressed mm. uh, and there's no good reason, there may be a reason, but if they, if they change their mood, if they're, if they're sort of worried, if they look um, uncared for, if they're losing weight, all of these are indications that something's not right.
2: Dr John Beer from uh, Action and Elder Abuse, thank you very much indeed. <laughs>
14: Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio.
14: The M1 northbound, good news because they've managed to get all lanes open. The accident between Junction 11 at the A505 and 12 at Flittick is now cleared and everything's been reopened for about 10 or 15 minutes through there. Southbound, still quite slow though, from Junction 11 down toward 9 for the A5 at Redbourne. And on the A5, you've got a patch of slow traffic around the junction with Lynch Hill, B4540. The M25 anti clockwise, still got the queues broken down vehicle on the exit slip for the A1M has now gone and all lanes there have reopened but you've got delays back through the roadworks all the way back into Essex continuing anti-clockwise though it's very slow from the M1 round to Kings Langley and from Maple Cross through to the M40 no problems on the M40 as far as I can see on the cameras the A1 into London looking a bit slow though through Borhamwood it's busy from Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus Problems on the Piccadilly line look like they've sorted themselves out, but again, if you're heading into London, the Bakerloo line tube. Minor delays, Harrow and Wealdstone down to Queen's Park because of an obstruction on the line. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio.
2: Thank you, Adam. 7.30, News and
6: Sport Now with Catherine Boyle.
1: Across beds, hearts and bugs.
6: This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Lines, the road safety charity Brake says Bedfordshire police have made the largest cuts to traffic police numbers in Britain over the last five years. Beds police contest the charity's figure of 44%. Concerns about conditions at the Mepeshall Care Home have prompted Central Bedfordshire Council to stop all new admissions. And it's emerged that Mark Bridger, the man convicted of killing five year old April Jones, has been slashed in the face by another inmate at Wakefield Prison.
1: Three Counties Sports.
0: BBC Three Counties Radio. Andy Murray says he's already looking forward to walking out onto centre court next year as Wimbledon champion, and he's told the BBC he cannot imagine what that experience will be like, but hopefully will do it again next year. Sports psychologist Dr David Fletcher from Loughborough University believes now that Murray has overcome his Wimbledon hurdle, repeating such success will be much easier and more likely.
15: We saw that, I think, with the US Open last year when he won his first Grand Slam title. Also the success that he had uh, at the Olympic Games when he won the gold medal. He beat Federer in a real pressure situation. All of those events and those wins all help in terms of them winning the big one and in the future when he plays at Wimbledon, he'll be confident that he can win again.
0: Robbie Deans has resigned as coach of the Australian Rugby Union team after the Wallabies' resounding defeat to the British and Irish Lions at the weekend. He's been replaced by the former Queensland Reds coach and Australian pop Ewan McKenzie. Team Sky boss Dave Brailsford insists they're in a great position following a rest day in the Tour de France, even though all his riders, apart from Chris Froome, struggled in a tough stage on Sunday. Froome retained the leader's yellow jersey ahead of the resumption later this morning.
8: If you didn't know what happened, you had no idea what happened from a performance point of view, you say, right, it's the rest day, you've got a yellow jersey, here's your opposition, this is how much time you put into them, and you've got the time trials coming up and we're going... You look at that just without knowing anything about how that happened and you go, Blime it,
1: I'll take that 100%.
0: And that's your latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at 8 o'clock. Across beds, hearts and
6: bucks.
1: This is Ian Lee.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning.
2: Coming up in the next 30 minutes, more on life sentences, more on traffic cops and Milton Keynes' bowl is up for debate Yet again, we'll be finding out what plans they may or may not have. Now, should life mean life? There'll be very few people out there who would um, say no, it shouldn't. Well, the European Court of Human Rights will deliver a ruling later today on an appeal against the whole life sentences given to three convicted murderers from the UK. Murderer Jeremy Bamber and two other killers, Douglas Vinter and Peter Moore, claim that condemning them to spend the rest of their lives behind bars is against their human rights. It's cruel, inhuman and degrading. Well, I'm joined now by legal expert Joshua Rosenberg. Good morning, Joshua. Good morning, now, these three men, Bamber, Vinter and Peter Moore, they did some pretty horrendous crimes. C- can you remind us what
16: they were, for those who are perhaps a bit too young to remember? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they were dread- crimes Jeremy Bamber, I think is perhaps the best known. Um, he killed his uh, wealthy adopted, adoptive parents, June and Neville, his adoptive sister. Sheila Caffell and her six-year-old twin sons at their farmhouse in Essex Uh, and he was given a whole life tariff after being convicted in 1986. Uh, Vinter had served nine years of a life sentence for murdering a work colleague and three years later he murdered his wife Um, and uh, the uh, Welsh serial killer uh, uh, Peter Moore uh, killed four gay men across a period of four months. So All of them uh, were absolutely at the top end of the scale and that's why they were told that they would never be released from prison. Now, whole life sentences aren't handed out very lightly, are they? Is it it 49 whole lifers in the UK? That's right, not particularly uh, many. Um, They include the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, the Moors murderer, Ian Brady, Rosemary West, uh, is the only woman, the Cromwell Street murders from Gloucester, uh, and uh, more recent ones. And uh, it is a matter for the courts to decide. Obviously, there's an automatic sentence of what's called life imprisonment for any murder, uh, but uh, some murderers uh, have a minimum term, around 15 years. In more serious cases, it's 30 years. Only the most serious are told they'll never be released.
2: The trio have already appeared before three judges in a preliminary version of the
16: European Court of Human Rights, and their case met with some sympathy. Is this likely to happen again? Well, as you say, the uh, hearing at the beginning of last year, or the ruling at the beginning of last year, um, three judges uh, found in their favour, but four judges found against them. Uh, So this was a majority judgment of four, three, in favour of the British government. And I I think it's because the majority was so narrow, one vote, uh, that the court has decided to refer it to what it calls its grand chamber of 17 judges. Uh, They'll all vote and their ruling will come out today. It could uh, be uh, closely uh, divided, as before, but uh, which way the majority will go uh, remains to be seen. It's a matter of speculation.
2: So there is a chance
16: it could go in their favour. Very much a chance and if it does go in their favour, if the British government loses, then it's not going to mean these people necessarily have to be released uh, or even uh, released at some point in the future. All I think the government would have to do to comply with the court's ruling is to set up some sort of system of review. Maybe after 25 years, maybe every decade after that or or perhaps triggered by some special circumstances. Uh, But it would be seen as a major defeat uh, by the British government if it were to lose, even on this fairly narrow point, Uh, and it would no doubt add to the arguments that we heard yesterday from Theresa May, the Home Secretary, who who says that the Conservatives should go into the next election arguing that they should uh, that we should pull out of the Human Rights Convention, absolutely. Joshua
2: Rosenberg, legal expert, thank you very much indeed.
6: Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio.
2: Here's something that pops up every now and then. What do you want to see done with the bowl in Milton Keynes? The iconic music venue has played host to the likes of Queen, Michael Jackson, Robbie Williams, David Bowie, Oasis, and a few good acts as well. Well, now a public consultation is underway into its future use. We know that badminton and cycling will feature, but what else? I'm joined now by our
11: Milton Keynes reporter, Craig Lewis. Morning, Craig. Morning, Craig. What are the options? Well, there's a number of options and ideas for the site at the moment. Uh, The main one, which will definitely happen, is Badminton England's new National HQ. Um, They've already been given planning permission by Milton Keynes Council. Uh, This includes a 16-court indoor badminton hall, a new fitness club, athlete accommodation and lots of car parking there, so a big project there already approved. Uh, MK Cycling will definitely be there in some format as well. The Cycling Association in Milton Keynes uh, want to have a centre of excellence and a more permanent base there there. Another proposal is for MK Dons to have a training ground there. Uh, Pete Winkleman, the Dons chairman, really championing that one. Uh, An international team base is another idea, um, and that could see rugby teams for the World Cup in 2015, for example, come down there. If we were to get the Olympics again, perhaps a team um, could end up in Milton Keynes' base there as well. If we could get the Olympics again, that's optimistic, isn't it? Well, you know what it's like in Milton Keynes. We like to uh, push things forward and go for everything. Excellent. uh, Looking there. So these these proposals are all on the table at the moment. That's right. Yeah, there's a consultation opened uh, in the last couple of weeks, and um, and they're up and running at the moment. And uh, obviously, the final option that's involved there is, of course, concerts still going. Mm. And a big thing to remember about this is it's not an either or choice. Uh, all of these things can happen. It,
2: you mentioned concerts, and that's how most people will know uh, uh, the, the Milton Keynes Bowl that, that they will still be going on, will they?
11: Yeah, almost, almost certainly likely to continue. They're a big thing for uh, for Milton Keynes. Uh, I think they continue to play a major part in the council's thinking. Uh, and even with the construction of facilities like the Badminton Centre, if the training ground in and the international base were likely to happen, uh, there's still more than enough room at the bowl to continue to have huge concerts there. Uh, it's an iconic venue. It's got a long association with big-name acts. Uh, I don't think it's something the Milton Keynes Council would like to see come to an end. They, they really want to keep this thing going. Um, and, after all, the concerts are mentioned in all the different plans for the development of the bowl, so okay. I think so
2: that 's definitely part of it. Why is the future of the bowl being discussed now?
11: Uh, basically, to try not to bore you with too many um, uh, <laughs> lo- yeah, exactly. Uh, the homes and Community Agency handed over the um, the ownership of the land to Milton Keynes Council in January and the council has since then been drawing up lots of plans for how it can be used uh, it's a prime facility, it's based pretty much in the middle of Milton Keynes um, there's been a few large scale concerts in recent years Swedish House Mafia were there a year ago but it hasn't really had 365 day a year use so that's what they'd like to see there um, to give you a quote from uh, Cabinet Minister David Hopkins of MK Council, he said in the statement, The National Bowl site is a significant asset, but it is a significantly underused leisure facility. The infrastructure is outdated and the site is in need of substantial investment. We want to work to turn it into a major leisure and sporting facility for not just Milton Keynes, but also the wider regional, national and international audience.
2: And members of the public, people in Milton Keynes, people who use it or want to use it, can have their say, can't
20: they?
11: That's exactly it. That's what the council really wants to get involved, people to get involved with now. Uh, anyone who does want to get involved, they, um, they need to get in contact with Milton Keynes Council. They can either write to the council, their address, and lots of de- more details can be found on Milton Keynes Council's website, or they can email them on urban.design at milton uk. And uh, comments have to be submitted by August the 5th this year. Okay,
2: and later on in the show, we're talking to uh, MK Don's chairman, Pete Winkleman. Is that right?
11: That's right. Pete's coming along, as I say, he's got a few. Uh, uh, major plans obviously championing the training ground and um, the international team base but uh, Pete's got a big history in, in music as a lot of people know and I think he'd really like to see some big name concerts there as well so he'll be telling us about that
6: Craig Lewis thank you very much indeed call 08459 455 555
1: BBC Three Counties Radio
2: Talking about bad drivers, we're always talking about bad drivers because it's fun. We all see it. Some of us do it. There's been a reduction in the, the number of traffic cops. Break the uh, road safety charity say, "Whoa, hang on, this is bad. This means more accidents, more deaths." But we've got to make cuts somewhere, haven't we? Pat's in house and Regis. Morning, Pat.
20: Good morning, then. Pat, do you, you see uh, a lot of bad drivers? Very much so, yeah. I've, I've had to put cameras in my car in the front and the rear. Oh, no, really? Um, because it's got that bad on the road, people pulling out in front of you, others on the phone going into the back of you. I mean, I've had uh, five people going to the back of me while I've been stationary in the last couple of years. So the camera sort of helps to um, sort of to protect us in the insurance terms, if you like.
2: I have never seen anybody drive well on the motorway and do you know what i include myself in that no one drives on the motorway properly
20: well no one drives properly um even after they pass their test generally if they feel they can get away with something then they push those boundaries a little bit further and as they get the years experience they're still pushing that boundary because there's no police there to monitor the situation and it's bedfordshire police have done that great reduction over that period of time that's what we're seeing now, the fruits of their reductions.
2: In some states in America, it's perfectly legal to use your mobile phone, to be driving along and to hold your mobile phone and, and and drive about. Should we make it legal here? The reason I ask that is because people, everyone uses it, a lot of people use their mobile phones in their car, but they do it very furtively. They kind of have it down on their lap or down by their side or down by the gearbox so they can't be spotted. If we legalised it... And everyone could be open about it and not so sneaky. That, that would make things a bit safer, wouldn't it?
20: Well, I thought they had legalised it, because I don't see the reductions anywhere on the roads. It's uh, increased anyway. And if you see the kind of driving when they've got that phone to their ear, they pull out in front of you, not knowing you're there. They don't indicate when they're turning onto a roundabout. They don't get in the right lanes until they're ready to move over when they actually become aware they're on the road. It's, it's the most dangerous thing going I think it's even more dangerous than drink driving, yet it's treated less important.
2: Uh, Pat in Houghton Regis, thank you very much indeed. Ken in Luton. Morning, Ken.
5: Good morning, Ian. Do you want to see more uh, traffic cops? I'd like to see them on the roads instead of escorting prisoners. I mean, I watch the television and I see 22 policemen wow. escorting a bloke who's just spends five minutes in court and then he's home again. What, what, what bloke was this? Well, the little when the little girl got
2: uh, oh right the the April Jones killer yes yeah. yes well you can understand why they had twenty coppers escorting yeah, but him can't point you?
5: The is, in, why don't they use the video link like they do in some cases? Why can't they do it in all cases? And then police out on a road instead of. Well, I, I, I don't think
2: by using the video, they don't often have 20 coppers um, escorting prisoners to, uh, to, to to court. So I, I think by having the video link, A, you you lose a bit of the human interaction that's so vital when uh, you're in court and you're trying to ascertain whether someone's lying. Yeah, and B, I don't think you'd save... Five minutes, y- you, won't, you won't save that many coppers. It's not yeah. going to save that much time.
5: Well, you'd be surprised. I, I, I would be. Uh, fishing down the A6. Yeah. But, and I used to often see them, you know, see a four-car escorting... You think is, you see a police
2: officer on the motorway, you go down the M1 or you go to the M40, you see a police officer parked up on that lay-by, you slow down to 67 miles an hour, you yeah. get out of their eye, eye, eye line, and then you're off to 85 again. Uh,
5: Everyone does uh, it. Uh, what What a law that they can't enforce. It's a stupid law. I mean... Anyone will tell you that, but it's, it's like these, uh, what's I call them?
16: I don't know. Uh,
5: hmm? Abu Qatada. How much do we spend protecting him? You know, this is what I say. We, we're spending money hand over fist on stupid things when they could batten down the hatches and find out what's going on in the world. Ken, thank you very much indeed. Batten down the hatches
2: and find out what's going on in the world. That's Ken in Luton. What do you think
1: about what he said? Travel news
14: for beds, cards, and bugs.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio.
14: Plenty of traffic on the M25. It's stop-start through the roadworks section past Potter's Bar, Junction 24. It's slow back beyond there as well. As you continue anti-clockwise, very slow from the M1 round to the M40, Junction 21 to 16. It's also slow into the roadworks clockwise as you come past the A1M at Junction 23. Bit of a queue on the M1 southbound. Slow moving from Junction 11 at the A505 toward 9 at Redbourne for the A5. And on the A5, you've got some delays as you go through Kensworth past Lynch Hill. B 4540. be A1, Black Cat roundabout. Cues already coming toward the Barford Bypass and as you continued down, the A1M Looking slow from Hitchin towards Stevenage And then right into London, the A1 slow in Boreham Wood Stirling corner to Mill Hill Circus Trains still running fine On the tubes, it's good news, Bakerloo line Absolutely back to normal between Harrow and Wheelstone And Queen's Park after the obstruction on the line Was removed. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio
2: Thank you very much Adam
14: Right, 7.47,
2: it's Tuesday the 9th of July. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Bedfordshire police have made the largest cuts to traffic police numbers in Britain over the last five years. That's according to the road safety charity Break. Bed's police question their figures. Concerns about conditions at the Mepeshul Care Home have prompted Central Bedfordshire Council to stop all new admissions. In sport, Robbie Deans has stepped down as head coach of the Australian Rugby Union team following their serious defeat by the British and Irish Lions. Coming up, more on traffic cups... ..and how they're being cut to save money. Right, 7.47, let's get the weather. Here's
19: Elizabeth. Beds, hearts and bucks weather.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
19: Hello, a very good morning to you. It's going to turn out to be hot, dry and sunny again today with some very high temperatures around. There has been some patchy mist around this morning. There could still be a little bit lingering out there, particularly towards northern areas of Bedfordshire, but that will seem clear. It'll get burnt back by the sunshine. There's going to be lots more of that through the rest of the day today. A bit of fair weather cloud perhaps into the afternoon. Highs today of up to 26 degrees Celsius. It's going to be another warm one, just a light northeasterly breeze. Overnight tonight, temperatures dropping between 12 and 14 degrees Um, could be quite an uncomfortably warm night again for many of us Um, just a light northeasterly wind again and there will be some more low clouds, some more patchy mist and fog just uh, emerging into tomorrow morning too and that cloud is going to be quite stubborn to clear so tomorrow you will notice the difference it'll be cloudier and it will be cooler as well, there'll be a bit of brightness i dare say around through the morning, perhaps even a few sunny spells, but quite cool and cloudy Um, temperatures dropping by a good few degrees, but don't worry, the sunshine will be back later on on thursday and on friday again it's going to be more of the same with some soaring temperatures that's the forecast thanks what no i'm wrong now no
2: i was thanking you elizabeth sorry okay okay. didn't
19: sound very thankful very grateful
2: thanks very much you are good i'll bring you a coffee later
19: (laughs) thanks one sugar
13: i won't
2: Oh, very quick hit with um, our sports boys, Jeff and Luke. Jeff and Luke, what's what's happened? Has Luke fallen off his bike and grazed his knee again? I'll oh, be quiet. Jeff, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Unfortunately, yes. yes. What's happening? I'm cycling. Oh, I'm cycling. I've
13: just gone up <laughs> Tunnington Hill. Have you taken the stabilisers off or something? <laughs> Listen, uh, we're, 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 I have to say, Ian, I know that you're slightly mocking, and I enjoy what? it. Uh, it makes me feel good if I'm honest with you. But, <laughs> but, but, but Jeff has just climbed Lord's Hill uh, into Tunnington, oh and it is a real uh, humdinger. It's a stinker. Him. He's just got to the top of it. Jeff, how are you feeling?
7: I'm not bad. Uh, I'm not panting that much either. I thought I'd be a lot worse. Kept in low gear, Ian. Keeping low gear up really steep hills.
2: His voice has gone up about two octaves. Check, get him to check downstairs, make sure nothing's gone inside his body. Well, I, I tell you what, Ian, I've had a couple of those moments. Ooh.
7: Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure at this early stage of the morning we want to hear
8: that.
2: Jeff, Jeff, do yourself a favour. Turn round and go
13: down that hill at top speed. Go on! You deserve it! <laughs> but then I'd have to go back up again.
2: That's I'm the price. That. That's the price you Here have to we pay. we are in
13: Toddington. In the centre of Toddington. It's uh, getting quite busy now. Um, we're, uh, we're moving along nicely. Next destination, uh, destination, Milton Keynes. And then we're travelling through Buckinghamshire for the rest of the Whereabouts are Milton Keynes you going Because I know that lots of people on Facebook are saying, oh, we want to come and see them. Where yep, are you going to be? We're heading to Campbell Park. We'll be in Campbell Park before... we go to Bletchley Park and then we're heading to Buckingham and Winslow and Whitchurch, etc., And, boys, you're nicked.
2: See you later. See
3: you. Good luck. Every weekday morning, questions are asked. What should the government do next to stop people smoking? Who do you blame for our failing high streets? Opinions are formed.
15: There is no place in a
1: civilised society for people like that. They should get real. Part of me says it is wrong. And you get to have your say.
12: I think the whole thing is absolute garbage, frankly. Join
1: in with the big phone-in from Nine. Not everyone will agree. Interesting conversation. The JVS Show, weekday mornings from nine on BBC Three Counties Radio.
2: Today we've been talking about the number of traffic cops and how they're being cut to save money, but Thames Valley Police, which covers Buckinghamshire, um, have announced a change in the way they tackle rural crime. Uh, Instead of dealing with these crimes, such as criminal damage damage or low-value thefts over the phone, they will now send police officers who will aim to get to the scene of the crime within an hour. Chief Superintendent Tim DeMeyer is here to explain more. Uh, Tim, I would have assumed you'd have been doing this all along. Why have have they been dealt with on the phone in the past?
24: Well, um, I should uh, perhaps correct you to some extent there. Emergencies requiring immediate attendance were always given a rapid response, and they'll continue to be given a rapid response. In a very small number of cases, we're talking about perhaps one or two a week in, um, in uh, areas like Aylesbury or Wickham, we might have gone by appointment at a time to suit the landowner or the farmer. And in an even smaller number of cases where there are no witnesses or lines of inquiry, uh, we might have simply resolved the matter over the telephone. So, Res- Resolved you
2: know, over the telephone? How, do, how does one resolve a crime over the telephone?
24: Well, if, there, if simply the, uh, the landowner wanted to report it perhaps for insurance purposes because he'd noticed some property that had gone missing uh, any time in the last year or so and there was no useful purpose to be served in actually attending, uh, then we might have gone over the telephone. But we're talking about uh, a handful of cases across the whole of the... Um, Three counties of the Thames Valley in the whole uh, in the whole um, year there. So that's not really what the point of the policy is. The point of the policy is in relation to focusing on a particular type of rural crime uh, and uh, and getting there quicker in certain categories of cases, which give us a much better chance of recovering evidence and catching the suspect.
2: Explain what you mean by rural crime.
24: We're going to focus on. Uh, Crimes that target or affect the rural economy in particular. So, for example, theft of agricultural machinery, which we know hits livelihoods, it drives up insurance costs for farmers and also involves organised criminals, and also crimes such as hair coursing, uh, which not only damage crops and can involve intimidation of landowners, but also involve hideous cruelty, of course. So if you think of crimes that target or affect the rural economy and farms in particular, then we've decided to pay a particular attention to those.
2: So I'm confused slightly, Tim. What's What's the difference? You would have gone to those crimes before, you're just planning to go there a bit quicker?
24: Well, if if it was an emergency case where the suspect was there or the victim was at risk, then of course we'd have gone immediately in the past and will continue to go immediately now. In certain categories of cases um, where there was no need to to be there um, right away, uh, we might have gone by uh, appointment within 24 hours to meet the needs of the landowner. We've decided that we'll get a better chance of recovering evidence, of tracing witnesses, uh, and also get better confidence from the landowner if we get to those cases within an hour, so we're going to be upgrading our response time in those cases.
2: That seems, you, you say that, 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 that's obvious
24: though, isn't it? Well,
2: Why they, weren't you getting there in, in an hour before?
24: Well, we, uh, we had different priorities before. Of course, um, uh, previously, central priorities were set by government and also the police authority, and rural crime didn't feature in those. We now have a police and crime commission who's decided that rural crime is to be one of his main priorities, and therefore we've decided to upgrade our response accordingly in the same way that we would for uh, residential burglary, for example. So what's happened is that rural crime has become more of a priority, so we therefore decided to upgrade our response to it accordingly.
2: Why has Mr Stansfield uh, uh, reprioritised rural crime? Why does he think it's so important? Is he, is he playing to his, his kind of Tory voters?
24: Well, that's not for me as an operational officer to comment on. You'd have to ask him of that, of course. But I think um, you know, he would uh, comment on... Uh, on the, uh, the value of the property that goes missing. It's not uncommon when machinery is stolen for that machinery to be valued at over 100,000 pounds. Uh, rural crime offending can take place across borders and involve organised criminals. So, whilst we're talking about relatively low levels of offending across the three counties, and whilst in fact rural crime has gone down in the last couple of years, nevertheless, there's quite a high impact on the victims involved. So that's why um, we want to focus on it more. And I would dare say that's why Mr. Stansfeld wants to focus on it. But you'd have to ask him. Mr. Is Mr. it, a, of course,
2: is it a good use of your your um, diminishing resources to to focus and going to every single rural crime that's that's uh, reported?
24: We think uh, that it is in this case because if you look at the organised criminals who are involved in some of these rural crimes of course they're not just offending in rural areas. They're also likely to be involved in organised crimes in other areas. So by taking an approach which firstly makes sure we investigate the crimes quicker and more thoroughly also means we're going to work with landowners to mark a lot more of their property because that makes it less likely to be stolen and more easily to be uh, recovered. We're also going to be running a number of very high-profile operations uh, in these areas and going to be using some covert tactics against these criminals as well. So when you consider the value of the property that they're taking and the harm that they're doing across the county and not just in rural areas, I think it's a very sensible use of our resources indeed.
2: Tim, thank you very much for joining me. That's uh, Chief Superintendent Tim DeMeyer. Call 08459
6: 455 555.
2: BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, for goodness sakes. Now, a a really distant royal is having a baby. Princess Zara, is, is she a Zara? Is she a princess? I mean, she's, is she a princess? I've got literally no idea. She's uh, the granddaughter to the Queen. And let's be honest, one of the better-looking royals. I don't quite know what her royal qualification is, though. What's her title? She's having a baby with uh, a man. Um, uh, Andy Murray, of course, on the front page of the newspapers. And I mentioned yesterday that the Andy uh, uh, Murray um, phenomenon left me feeling a little bit... Eh. And someone posted... Uh, someone summed this up perfectly... On Facebook, they posted a Facebook comment on my page. And this is exactly what I was trying to express yesterday, but could not find the words. And this person posted: Person who shares the same colour passport as me achieves personal ambition. How am I supposed to feel? And that's it, isn't it? That's it. They're kind of born within a few hundred miles of me on the same rock and they achieve what they've always wanted to achieve. I don't. How is that supposed to make me feel? Hey, the Daily Express. Simple test for a longer life. What a surprise The Daily Express are doing a, a, a story about how we can break through in the battle against aging. Is there a battle against aging? I'm not involved in a battle. I've, I've, I've lain down my weapons long time ago. A revolutionary discovery could pave the way for a simple blood test to help in the battle against old age. So, so already this story is, is some way in the future. A discovery could pave the way. OK. The test can predict not only our long-term health, but the rate at which we will age. The rate at which we will age, that means nothing. Okay, so two paragraphs in, nothing is happening. The discovery could lead to powerful new treatments and drug therapies to tackle conditions linked to getting older. Three paragraphs in, we've been told nothing. They could point to a person's long-term overall. So basically, the front page of the Daily Express is a big load of old nothing.
1: Travel
14: news for beds, cards, and bugs.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio.
14: The A1 looking quite slow coming to the Black Cat roundabout southbound. As you come to all the Great Barford Bypass, there's a bit of a queue there. Along the Barford Bypass, it's not looking too bad, though. The A1M, it slows up once you get between Junction 8 and 7 as you go from Hitchin through towards Stevenage. And then into London, delays on the A1 through Boreham Wood from Stirling Corners toward Mill Hill Circus. Southbound M1 still looks slow on the cameras from Junction 11 at the A505 toward 9 at Redbourne for the A5. And the A5 looking a bit slow coming down toward that junction as well, mainly on the southbound side. The A10 in Enfield is looking rather slow. Ballsmore Lane to south three road there's also a little bit of a queue the other side of the m25 coming through chesant southbound toward the m25 clockwise on the m25 it's heavy traffic coming toward the roadworks the a1m in particular junction 23 and then anti-clockwise slow back from essex through the roadworks section to potter's bar and very slow from the m1 then round to the m40 adam glenn bbc three counties radio
2: thank you adam Right, it's eight o'clock all of a sudden. How did that happen? Coming up in the last hour of the show, should life mean life? 08 459 455
1: 555. Speak to you after the latest news and sport. Catherine Boyle. On FM, AM, online and digital radio.
6: This is BBC
0: Three Counties Radio. It's 8 o'clock, the headlines. Charities concern over traffic police cuts, central beds halt new admissions to troubled care home and Woodhill officer accused of selling prisoner information.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio. The
0: road safety charity Break says Bedfordshire Police have made the largest cuts to traffic police numbers in Britain over the last five years. Bed's police contest the charity's figure of 44% and say it's more like 16%. That would still put the county above the national average of 12%, along with Thames Valley Police, who've cut numbers by 16%, according to Break. Their figure for Hertfordshire is 10%. Kevin Delaney is the former head of traffic at the Met Police. He says chief constables are in an impossible situation.
23: Chief constables have a budget. They have to balance that budget. If they're not going to make cuts within traffic cops, which area, I wonder, would your your listeners like them to do it? Would would it be anti-terrorism? Would it be crime? Would it be the Friday and Saturday night violence in the town centres in your area?
0: Concerns about conditions at Mepishol Care Home have prompted central Bedfordshire councils to stop all new admissions. The decision comes after inspectors from the Care Quality Commission made an unannounced visit in May and found the facility was understaffed, residents' calls for help were ignored and bathroom facilities hadn't been cleaned. In a statement, the home says it's working hard to improve standards. A prisoner officer from Woodhill in Milton Keynes is to be charged with four counts of conspiracy to commit misconduct in public office. Scott Chapman has been charged, along with his former partner, and three journalists. The Crown Prosecution Service says there's evidence he was paid for information about a high-profile prisoner. One of the journalists faces charges over payments to public officials at Thames Valley Police. The European Court of Human Rights will give its ruling this morning on whether Jeremy Bamber should have his life sentence reviewed. He murdered five family members in 1985. He and two other killers, Peter Moore and Douglas Vinter, argue that it's degrading that they should spend the rest of their lives in prison. Danny Shaw has more.
26: The three convicted murderers are among 49. Nine prisoners in England and Wales who've been given whole life tariffs, meaning they'll never be let out. They claim that denying them any prospect of release amounts to inhuman and degrading treatment, and they should be entitled to have their tariffs reviewed. The case was referred to the Grand Chamber after the men narrowly lost their first European court hearing last year. Three of the seven judges ruled in their favour. But the Court of Appeal in London has upheld the principle of the whole life tariff, saying it's a draconian penalty reserved for cases of exceptionally serious criminality.
0: Ed Miliband is to set out plans for a fundamental change in Labour's financial relationship with the unions. In a speech later, he'll signal an end to the system where unions automatically pay affiliation fees of eight million pounds to the party on behalf of members. In sport, following their series defeat by the British and Irish Lions, Robbie Deans has stepped down as head coach of the Australian rugby union team. The former Queensland Reds boss, Ewan McKenzie, has taken over. And the weather dry, sunny, and very warm, with a top temperature of 29 degrees Celsius. That's 84 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport. On online at bbc.co.uk slash threecounties. Morning!
2: Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Boy, oh boy, do I need a ploughman sandwich from a petrol station and a coffee from one of those machines. I do! Oh, I do! And in about 63 minutes' time, that's what I'm going to be chomping down on. There's something about petrol station sandwiches that they're so wrong that they're right, aren't they? And if you got several of those in a cafe, you'd go, oh, my God, it's soggy, it's horrible. But in a petrol station, oh, class A! Lots coming up between now and nine o'clock, including the European Court of Human Rights is due to rule on whether murderer Jeremy Bamber and two other killers should have their life sentences reviewed. The three killers argue that the whole life tariff breaches their human rights. Well, should life mean life? Traffic police numbers in the UK have been cut by almost 13%, with the biggest reduction in Bedfordshire, with a cut of 44%. Well, Bed's police say those figures could be incorrect, but is it too easy for motorists to get away with bad driving? And their retail figures are out later today. They're expected to show a further fall in clothing sales. Why did you fall out of love with Marks and Spencers? We've got the internet back, boys and girls. We're living in 2013. You can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call, 08459 four double five five double five.
6: Across beds, hearts and bucks.
1: This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
6: Three
2: convicted murderers will find out this morning if their appeals against whole-life sentences have been successful. Jeremy Bamber, Douglas Vinter and Peter Moore have gone to the European Court of Human Rights claiming that denying them any prospect of release amounts to inhuman and degrading treatment
16: and they should be entitled to a review. Well, earlier on, I spoke to legal expert Joshua Rosenberg. Jeremy Bamber, I think, is perhaps the best known. He killed his uh, wealthy adoptive parents, June and Neville, his adoptive sister... Sheila Caffell, and her six-year-old twin sons at their farmhouse in Essex, uh, and he was given a whole life tariff after being convicted in 1986. Uh, Vinter had served nine years of a life sentence for murdering a work colleague, and three years later he murdered his wife, um, and uh, the uh, Welsh serial killer uh, uh, Peter Moore uh, killed four gay men across a period of four months. So... All of them uh, were absolutely at the top end of the scale, and that's why they were told that they would never be released from prison.
2: Well, Eric Allison is an ex-offender and the Guardian's prison correspondent. Uh, Eric, what do you think about all of this?
27: Uh, well, I'm against whole life terrorists and I'll tell you for why. We don't have the death penalty in this country. We have a we have a prison system, and the and the aim of the prison system is to rehabilitate people and uh, and reform them at the end of last month, there was something like 84,000 people in prison. Uh, And as I say, the aim is to reform them, all apart from 40-odd who've been told that they'll spend the rest of their lives in prison. And these men will be told that no matter how old they are, no matter how infirm they are, they could be paralysed, but they're never going to get out. And, And that's not about rehabilitation or reform, that's about pure punishment and pure revenge, and I think we're better than that.
2: Douglas Vinter was released, wasn't he? And he murdered again. Yeah, he's had his second chance. Yeah, so ch- he can stay in prison forever.
27: Well, <laughs> or do we give him? A, do we give him a third chance? Well, the chances are, even if even if his whole life tariff, you know, was removed, you know, um, the chances are almost certainly that he would not be released. But but to take away the possibility, you know, that even he, you know, could change.
2: But he's had his he, hes had his second chance. He murdered someone at work, got released, came out, murdered someone else. So it, people like that shouldn't be given the the little glimmer of hope, should they?
27: Well, why would you take it away? I mean, because he's—he's
2: he's proven that he can't—he can't stop murdering people.
27: But that's not to say that thirty or forty years from now, you know, uh, he won't represent a threat. You know, what if he's 90 and paralysed? You know, what's the point in keeping him in prison then?
2: Well, because the thing is, though, supposing he did come out, Eric, uh, uh, and murder someone else, then where are we?
27: Well, of course he's not... going. You know, you know, I repeat that even if they took his whole life tariff off to... Yeah, but you know,
2: supposing he, he did... We're, pl- we're playing a game of hypotheticals and theoreticals here, of course. But supposing he did come out and murder someone...
27: Well, again, I'm sorry, you know, I don't think you can say that because the chances are they wouldn't let him out. I mean, look, there are plenty of people in the prison system who have no doubt whatsoever. OK,
2: supposing Bamba came out and murdered someone again?
27: Well, uh, I think he's a separate case altogether, To perfectly.
2: Well, of course he's a separate case, but if you, if you won't go along with that case, I'm not quite sure why you won't, uh, then let's go along with Bamba. Bamba comes out and murders again. Then then, then where do we stand?
27: Well, in Bamba's case, his, his whole life tariff, you know, At trial, the trial judge gave him 25 years. The judge who was in possession of all the facts. It was six years later that a politician uh, changed his to whole life tariff. So now we've got, or then we had politicians, you know, doing judges' uh, jobs for them. All that I'm saying is that I'm not advocating for one second that these people should be released. All that I'm saying is that by taking away any possible hope of redemption, you're almost... Denying them their humanity—that people can change. I've seen people change in prison.
5: Of course I, they can. Of course
2: I, people can change. I've seen people change. You know, but 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 someone who murdered five people, five members of his own family. Why should we give them the the, the vague glimmer of hope that one day they might be released? But, why, but, why?
27: Well, again, in Jeremy uh, Bamber's case, I haven't. I happen to be totally convinced that he's an innocent man, but that's separate from this particular argument. You know, what I'm saying is that, you know, people can you know people can change. All right, then, and let's
2: also... go with Peter Moore. Let's go with Peter Moore, who, oh. who killed gay men in Wales. Why should we give him but the all... glimmer of hope? Why should we give him the glimmer of hope
27: that okay. he one day he might be released? OK, so what of these 40 people? Look, everybody who kills has taken a life, yes. By singling out these 40 people, we're almost saying that the lives of other victims, weren't as precious as these, weren't as important as these. Somebody's making an arbitrary decision. No, you will stay in prison for the rest of your life, or you will serve 25 years or 30 years. You know, you're almost saying that one person's life is less important than another. Why don't we leave it to the parole board, you know, to find out if in 30 or 40 years' time, you know, somebody almost certainly is still too dangerous to let out, but you can't say that now. But
2: how do we know that they're not too dangerous to
27: let out? That's why we have a parole board. But but it doesn't always get it right. It
2: it didn't get it right with Vinter. So yep. they don't get it right. So if there is a chance that a life is at risk, then you don't let them out, surely. Then why,
27: then why not lock up all murders for the rest of it's them? It's
2: not a bad argument,
27: Eric. <laughs> well, well uh, you have a very you have a very overcrowded prison
2: I, well i, I, I couldn 't care less to be honest i to be honest in in a situation like this, my sympathy is with the people that have been murdered as opposed to the murderers i don 't know if that 's a controversial view or not, but I would rather uh, uh, have more sympathy for those that have lost their life and have been treated
27: inhumanly
2: in by being murdered than to give a glimmer of hope to those people that took their lives.
27: I'm sorry, I've got a call coming in. Um, It's already booked. I'm going to have to either take it or...
2: Is that... Really? Is that it? You're going to go off and take another call?
27: It was already booked. I'm sorry. I did explain to your researcher.
2: Oh, OK, Eric. Disappointing. Disappointing. Just getting started there. Disappointing, a little bit rude, if I'm completely honest. That's Eric Allison there, ex-offender, and the Guardian's prison correspondent. Didn't want to continue the conversation. Not suggesting because his point wasn't any good, but... My sympathy is with the uh, people who have been murdered and the relatives of those who have been murdered. And Eric's saying, well, flippantly saying, well, in that case, you should put everybody who's been. uh..." Yes, Eric's call was booked at 20 past, not uh, 12 minutes past. This is very disappointing. Well, disappointing and rude, really. And his argument wasn't that good either. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Ray's in Luton. Morning, Ray.
15: Good morning. You're not going to bail out halfway through, are you, Raymond? No, no I was going to say that phone call was well timed, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, just just about.
15: Had him on the back ropes. Yeah, that I think he must have had somebody say, "Well, when when you." I'm, sure I'm, I'm sure mean, he did not I'm sure he did.
2: Although I I have done that in real life. Anyway, <laughs> yes, go on, Ray. What do you think? Uh,
15: now, now, my um, point of view in is uh, life for life, and. You do your time. No no time off. If you get sentenced of three months, you do three months. If you get sentence six, you do six. And I believe sincerely that that uh, would cut down reoffending rate. Right. I know I know a bloke who 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 just laughed. He said uh, <laughs> right, he said, Oh dude. actually he does a bit of shoplifting and he said um, he said, if, if I get caught, he said, i will get probably six weeks, he said, and then i will do a couple of weeks and then uh, put a tag on me. So, you
2: know... So he keeps on committing his crimes because he knows that the, the sentences won't actually be that harsh?
15: Well, yeah, ba- basically that, and another reason he said to me, he said, I can't... I said, well, why did you keep shoplift- shoplifting? Yes. He said, he said well... When I come out, he said, it, when I go in prison, they stop me benefits for six weeks. If they sentence me six weeks, they stop me benefits for yes. six weeks. But he said, then they are, if I come out after two weeks, I haven't got any money, because they won't reinstate it until after six weeks. So obviously, if he's got a family, he's got to go and get some money from somewhere, is
2: not he? And he goes on the rob. I'm not quite sure how this ties in with uh, Jeremy Vamba but... Thank you very much. What do you think, dear listener? You heard Derek Allison, ex-offender, Guardian's prison correspondent, 08459 455 555. Should murderers like Jeremy Bamber, Douglas Vinter, Peter Moore, should they be given the glimmer of hope that maybe one day they might be released? doesn't necessarily mean you release them, but you just have that light at the end of the tunnel. It's inhuman not to have that light at the end of the tunnel. tunnel. It's degrading to them. I kind of think, you know, it's degrading and inhuman that their victims were murdered. That's sort of where my sympathy lies. 08459 four double five five double five.
1: Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs.
14: BBC Three Counties Radio. We've got reports of problems on the A6 eastbound in Bedford. Apparently, it is blocked by an accident at the A421. With congestion then along the 421, the Bedford Southern Bypass, back as far as the A600, Harrodon Road. Thanks to Dean who called in with information on that one. If anyone else is stuck, do give us a call, 08459 455 555. Things still looking a bit slow as you make your way along the A1, certainly to the Black Cat roundabout it's busy. Then delays along the A1M from Hitchin towards Stevenage, Junction 8-7. to And right into London you'll find queues through Boreham Wood delays from Stirling Corner toward Mill Hill Circus. Things are looking a little busy on the M1 southbound from Junction 11 at the A505 toward Redbourne the A5 at Junction 9 a little bit busy then on the M25 patches of traffic through the roadworks it's stop start anti-clockwise toward Potter's Bar Clockwise looking quite slow as you come toward the A1M and the roadworks as well. And if you're continuing anti-clockwise, you will find a bit of traffic from Junction 21 at the M1 through to the M40 at Junction 16, with it looking very slow on the cameras through there. Trains are still running well this morning and we have no reports of problems on the tubes. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much indeed.
2: Right, 8.16, it's Tuesday the 9th of July. I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The road safety charity break, says Bedfordshire Police, have made the largest cuts to traffic police numbers in Britain over the last five years. Bed's police contest the charity's figure of 44% and say it's more like 16%. Central Bedfordshire Council have stopped all-new admissions to Mepishul Care Home after a damning report by the Care Quality Commission. In sport, Aston Villa manager Paul Lambert says he's hugely disappointed that striker Christian Benteke has handed in a transfer request. Coming up, we'll hear how our sports team, Jeff and Luke, are getting on cycling the length of the Olympic torch relay route across beds, hearts and bucks.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio.
1: every weekday from three Roberto Peroni the bosses of a Milton Keynes lorry driver who died after falling asleep at the wheel have been found guilty of manslaughter with the best local news stories at the moment Christmas in Luton is
16: at risk we'll
9: do our best we'll work with the, the business community and other sponsors to fund the Christmas lights. the
1: best local travel multi-vehicle crash on the M1 northbound just as you come from the M25 it's going to get busy three cars involved with the best local talking points
28: because I was born
22: female that was my third sin, if you like, and I don't think I've ever
1: been forgiven for it. Roberto Peroni, weekdays from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. You are buff. What? You're buff. What do you mean I'm buff? You've got short sleeves on. You don't normally wear short sleeves.
2: You are toned, my (laughs) friends. You could have been, you should have been a contender for the new Superman. Seriously. (laughs) I can see what, I can see what producer Tara's doing behind me as well in silly sausage. But you, are, <laughs> seriously, you are very... Because you don't sound it, but you are very... No, you don't. You sound <laughs> a bit wimpy, like me. I'm wimpy. <laughs> but you, I can see the veins in your, um, your big muscles. <laughs> stop it. I can't, look! <laughs> oh, no, it's a bit of shadow. But, no, I can't. Look, you've
3: got your... Would you stop looking at my arms? <laughs> you pump off quite a lot, don't you? Do you pump off? <laughs> i have not been to the gym
2: this year. Well, just think what you just think. <laughs> is that what it is? Just think how how big you could be if you if you pumped off that Couldn't often. I?
3: Yes, you seriously? All right. No, no honestly, you're making me feel a bit uncomfortable. I'm not. This, this isn't I feel like harassment. you're going to pounce on me. <laughs> I, I'm tempted. Is I'm going to take you to a
2: tribunal <laughs> with this with this heat and your low cut top, your short sleeves. <laughs> A little bit racy here in C three County. Really? Yes. Do you uh, pump? Off?
3: Uh, you can probably tell that. No, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Have... You're very slim. Thank you. You'd have to. Yes. It, I think it would be frustrating, wouldn't it? Is. it, it is. To, to weight train for yeah. you uh. because you'd have to put on some some meat. I'd have to eat. I don't really eat hot food. You don't eat? Oh. <laughs> well, no. I tell you why. My supper
2: last night was half a bowl of cold mashed potato that the boys had left. And uh, someone said, well, why don't, you, why don't you heat it up? It just takes time. It's all going to go in my mouth and in my uh, belly. It doesn't matter whether it's hot or cold. I might as well just eat it cold. Oh, that's tragic. It's a little bit sad. Isn't it? Yes. I, but then, I, then later on, I was in bed and I was so hungry, I went downstairs and I found a, a cold vegetarian sausage in the fridge, so I ate that cold. There's, not, there's no point in heating it up, is there? Well... There's no point. So you didn't
3: have a nice hot dinner? No. And, and, and that's why I've got a headache now, because I've not... Because you've not eaten properly, so you've got to eat... And that's yeah. why you're so skinny. Yeah, yeah. You've got to eat more. Yeah. Are you offering? I'd love to, thanks. Just give me the money. Thank you. I'll buy a CD. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was going to invite you round. I don't know any vegetarian dishes, but I'd find one. Jacket potato. Oh, God. What's on your show this morning? Coming up on the, uh, on the big phone in this morning from Nine. Is it inhumane to keep people in prison for life? Very interested in your conversation you were just having with Eric. Um, the European well, it's European rather short, yeah, yes. Well, yes. The European Court of Human Rights will decide today whether murderer Jeremy Bamber and two other killers should have their life sentences reviewed. Bamber, along with serial killer Peter Moore and Douglas Vinter, argue their whole life tariff is inhuman and breaches their human rights. Well, perhaps you feel that the whole life sentences remove any incentive for people to reform and to then offer something back to society. From Nine this morning, I want to hear your views on this. Is it inhumane to keep people in prison for life? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five From Nine. This gets me really angry. Who cares if Jeremy Bamber or Douglas
2: Vinter or Peter Moore... Who cares if they reform? What can they offer to society? Nothing. So Peace, just Peter l- Moore, a piece of work, killed five gay blokes in Wales. D- Jerry Bamber killed I- five members of his family. Douglas Vinter kills a bloke at work, serves nine years, gets out, kills
3: his wife. Uh, you've had your chance. Go on. But doesn't it... OK, for, for sake of argument... Yes. Doesn't it, though, suggest, then, that we kind of have to accept that our prison system doesn't reform? It just punishes. If we're going to lock people up for their whole life, yep. then don't we also have to accept, well... Obviously, it is impossible to reform someone in prison.
2: Some people's crimes are so hideous that they are unreformable, if that's a word. If mm-hmm. not, then it certainly fits, it fits the, uh, the situation. Some people, the, the, their crimes are just so horrible and so unpleasant. And this Vinterfella, this he, ha- he had a second chance. He murdered someone, served nine years, parole board thought he was, he was well enough to release. They released him, he goes and kills his
3: wife. He's had his second chance. Well, we know what your views are. Yes. From nine, I'd like to hear your views as well. Is it inhumane to keep people in prison for life?
6: Call 08459-455-555.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio. I think I think Javius has just threatened me.
2: Just off air, he's continued the debate and saying, Look, Ian, if I were to mow you down and kill you by accident, should I spend the rest of my life in prison? Well, what a strange thing to say, off air. That's the that's the thing that makes it so macabre. He said it off air. It wasn't part of the show. That was a private threat. I've got no evidence. I didn't normally. I record him. I didn't record that today. How very very. What a spooky gentleman he is. Well, Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be on at nine o'clock. You can discover how spooky he is for uh, yourself. Uh, David in Hemel is texted in on on the subject of should life mean life. I don't want to take the risk of letting them out. Well, that's Marking Bletchley, sorry. And David in Hemel says, well, don't Ian, keep the murderers in prison, but give them hard labour. Well, you know, I don't know. The older I get, isn't this funny? The older I get, the more um, kind of staunch and conservative with a small C some of my views become. But I do think, with people like Bamba, and and, and the argument that possibly he's innocent, well, possibly. That's a whole different kettle of fish, and if he is, he'll be released and he'll be justly rewarded. But these these criminals, these murderers, they're so heinous. You seriously want to give the Yorkshire Ripper the glimmer of hope that maybe one day he'll get released? You seriously think that that would be a, a, a just thing to do? I don't think so. 08459 455 555 give me your call on this if there's anybody out there listening who would uh, agree with uh, the gentleman we were speaking to earlier on, Eric Allison who, um, yeah I've done those uh, who would, uh, uh, who thinks we should give, uh, not necessarily release them, but give them the glimmer of hope then give me a call I'll be keen to speak to you 08459 455 555 because I don't I don't think so. Anyway, you give me your opinions. Now, our intrepid sports team of Jeff Doyle and Luke Ashmead—they're basically they're the office babes, okay? They're the guys in the office that we all swoon over. They're on their bikes to ride the length of the Olympic torch relay route across beds, hearts, and bucks. They've been stopping at towns along the route to speak to volunteers, legacy leaders, Olympians, and aspiring Paralympians. Or we can join them. Now, Jeff, what's the latest? I think I've just murdered
7: Luton to MK. I'm nearly there. Unbelievable. I'm just heading to the roundabout to join the A421. So if you're in your cars, this big roundabout, there are plenty of them, I'm just about to go past you. Lovely morning for this, Ian. Lovely are, morning. Are you on your bicycle now? Yes, I'm cycling, but I'm just coming to a roundabout, so I'm slowing down. You missed me when I was grunting at my best going up the hill about five seconds.
2: Listen, ago. mate, I've seen you in the office grunting. I don't, I don't want to <laughs> experience that on the radio.
13: I've just stopped now, so I might... Ian. Ian, uh, Jeff can get on the redway here. This is a great opportunity to use a decent stretch of redway in Milton Keynes because there aren't many decent stretches of redways in Milton Keynes. They need a massive amount of investment. Uh, But Jeff's absolutely taken this leg... Apart, absolutely smashed it to pieces. Oh, you boys and your—he's <laughs> murdered Milton Keynes. He's
2: taken this leg apart. You know he thing, smashed it to 7 pieces.
13: Seven miles, seventeen point seven miles. He's done. Uh, we had an estimated time of an hour and forty-three minutes. He's done it in less than an hour. Uh, absolutely incredible. I
2: like the way, Luke, that you're trying your best to uh, revel in Jeff's glory. It's Jeff's glory. <laughs> it's not yours, Ashmead. So just get away from that glow. Right, oh, I right. need to cross
7: over here. Here we go. Oh, nice Rolls Royce has just let me pass it. Very nice. And I'm on my way. I'm, so I'm heading down the A421 now. It's from Milton Keynes.
13: Very nice. So Jeff is now parallel with us. We're on standing way, A421. We've just, we're just going past all the big industrial units from that roundabout with the BP station uh, leading to Junction 13. Jeff is uh, directly alongside us to our left-hand side. We've got the Brinklow Estate as well here in Milton Keynes. Um, this is, uh, this is uh, obviously uh, the first part of our Buckinghamshire uh, adventure. So for the rest of today, it's Buckinghamshire. Milton Keynes uh, will head to Campbell Park. We're then going to Bletchley Park from Milton Keynes. Uh, Then to Buckingham, Winslow, Whitchurch, Aylesbury, Stoke, Mandeville and Watterston. And there'll be people in every location for us to find out, has there been a legacy from the Torch relay 12 months ago and indeed from London 2012?
2: Luke, what's uh, what's kind of been your opinion so far? Because there was lots of excitement after the Olympics and lots of people said, oh yes, sport, sport, sport. I, it would appear to
13: me that that excitement has faded somewhat. What about you? No, I mean, from look, it's, it's a very difficult thing to judge because h- how can we gauge how many people have got out on their bikes? How can we gauge how many people have taken up a sport if they're not joining official clubs and the numbers aren't there to tally up? But from what we've found out over the last 24 hours, and I think what we will find out... Um, Today is that there has been a legacy from the Games. There has been an uptake in sport, which has never happened uh, after uh, any Olympic Games to the level that it has from London 2012. Uh, And I think what we really need to judge is, yes, we've done this 12 months and we've said uh, after this 12 months has there been a legacy. Yes, there has. Can that legacy be sustained? That's That's the real question, Ian.
7: And Ian, we were at Hemel yesterday at, at Sapphire Gym. I can talk while I'm riding, this is good, isn't it? Um, and the, uh, the lady who met us there was talking about 800 people on the waiting list for that Hemel Gym as a result of the Olympics. Which well, is incredible.
13: Was... By the way, you're going the wrong way, Jeff. Uh,
2: <laughs> Jeff, go the right way, you muppet. Jeff and Luke, thank you very much uh, indeed. And hopefully, this is going to become an annual event. Uh, we won't broadcast it every year, but I want them to ride that route every single year. It's uh, Jeff Ash, uh, Jeff Doyle, sorry, and Luke Ashmead. Thank you very much, chaps. You can, uh, if you say, listen to BBC Three Counties Radio, you'll hear them throughout the day, uh, continuing. Oh, bring those in here! Bring those in here! Bring those in here! Bring those in here! Here come them newspapers. We'll have a little, a uh, little look at those a bit later on.
1: But first of all, let's get the travel. Here's Adam Glynn. <laughs> Travel
14: news for beds, cards, and bugs.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio.
14: The A6 eastbound, we still have reports that it's blocked off in Bedford following an accident at the juncture with the A421 with congestion back along the A421 as far as the A600 at the High Street and Harrodon Road. i have only had one call in on that. If anyone else is caught up in the queues and if it's definitely causing disruption please do give us a call with your updates 08459 455555 and The A1 through Roxton looking slow queues coming down the Great North Road toward the Black Cat Roundabout The A1M looking slow from Hitchin towards Stevenage and then delays as you come in toward London through Boreham Wood on the A1 from Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus. Also a bit of a queue in Chesant this morning. The A10 South Southbound looking slow from College Road toward the Winston Churchill Way. M1 busy from junction 11 at the A505 to junction 9 at Redbourne. The A41 in Aylesbury looking quite slow between the Oxford Road roundabout and the Walton Street roundabout. Then on the M25, you have traffic both ways through the roadworks. It's looking slow clock and anti-clockwise. And as you continue round anti-clockwise, there's stop-start traffic from the M1 all the way through to the M4. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Widdishins Adam? Does that mean... Clockwise or anti-clockwise? Means anti-clockwise. I couldn't remember which. Sneak,
2: try and sneak it into the next travel bulletin if you can. Okay. M- You're going to do it or not? Yeah. All right. Nice one. Look forward to that. A little bit of Widdershins.
1: Across beds, hearts, and bugs.
6: This is BBC Three Counties
0: Radio. Morning with the 8:30 headlines. I'm Catherine Boyle. Bedfordshire Police have made the largest cuts to traffic police numbers in Britain. Move that saves little money and risks lives, according to Break. Bedfordshire Police contest the charity's figures. Concerns about conditions at the Mepisal care home have prompted Central Bedfordshire Council to stop all new admissions. And the European Court of Human Rights will give its ruling this morning on whether Jeremy Bamber and two other murderers should have their life sentences reviewed.
1: Three Counties Sports.
0: BBC Three Counties Radio. Former Wimbledon champion Stefan Edberg is expecting Andy Murray to return to the tournament next year, having won even more Grand Slams. Murray says he's already looking forward to walking out onto centre court in 2014 as defending champion, and Edberg, who won the title twice, believes the British number 1 is only going to get better.
15: Winning the first one is it's the crucial one, and uh, he did that last year at the US Open. Obviously, he won the Olympics last year, which sort of, without winning the Olympics, it would have been hard to win the US Open, and once you've done it once, um, you know, done it twice here, so I believe... Um, he he can still win a lot more slams here and uh, he's got a few really good years ahead of him and now he's done it for sure he'll be more confident winning them again
0: Aston Villa have confirmed that the striker Christian Benteke has handed in a transfer request. They say they'll act on offers that match their valuation of the Belgian, who hasn't travelled with the squad for a pre-season training camp in Germany after being given extra time off. And Glenn McGrath says Australia could benefit from being the underdogs in the Ashes series. The former fast bowler claims tomorrow's first test will be as big as any there's ever been. He also insists the Aussies' change of coach ahead of the series was the right move.
2: It got to the stage where something had to happen. And with Darren Lehman coming in, I think. It's what Australia really needed at the moment. They'd be pretty happy with the build-up they've had, the two matches they've had. Batsmen scored runs. The bowlers have taken a few weeks. got a good workout. So, yeah, you know, I think they'd be pretty happy with the lead-up. And with Darren Lehman being there, I think it'll really bring the team together.
0: And that's your latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at 9 o'clock.
1: On FM, AM, online and digital radio.
0: This is Ian Lee.
1: On BBC Three Counties Radio
2: a call. We're asking, should life mean life? Some uh, particularly unpleasant gentlemen, including Jeremy Bamber, who killed five members of his family, uh, are appealing to uh, not have their sentences overturned, but to be... They're saying it's inhuman... And and there is a very slight difference between inhuman and inhumane. They're saying it's inhuman that they are are facing a a, a whole life sentence, which means they will not even have the glimmer of hope of maybe one day, possibly, being up in front of a parole board. They say it's inhuman and degrading. We did have an expert on who kind of agreed with them and said that that, that it was wrong. What do you think? Does anybody agree? Oh, 08459 five, 455 double, 555. Double, do give us a call on that. You can text us, 81333. Three. Start your text, 3CR. The, the, the internet's working, but I'm not going to tell you what the Facebook page is. Now, also this morning, we are talking about the bowl in Milton Keynes. What do you want to see done with it in the future? Well, the iconic music venue has played host to the likes of Queen, Michael Jackson, Robbie Williams, David Bowie, to name but a few large acts. Well, now a public consultation is underway into its future use joined by Chairman of MK Dons, Pete Wink- Winkleman. Good morning, Pete. Good morning, Ian. Pete, talk me through your plans for the MK Bowl.
28: Well, I mean, we think the, the, the MK Bowl's a really, really important and iconic cultural place. I mean, some of the greatest moments in Milton Keynes, some of the magic of Milton Keynes, have happened during those concerts. But, of course, they're very rare. We only get one, uh, on average, about one a year, uh, because when you're doing uh, events to that many people and the capacity of the Bowl's about 65,000, there aren't so many shows you can do. So as well as having that fantastic magic in the summer, I'm afraid we haven't got that much use of it um, all year round. And uh, what we're trying to do is make sure that we not only get great international artists coming to the bowl, but great international sports stars as well and exploit our Rugby World Cup opportunities with something like a team-based training camp.
5: So
2: how exactly would that work?
28: Well, with the facilities that we build for the team base camp, which would include um, obviously big improvements to the uh, drainage and infrastructure there. offices, um, um, you know catering facilities, etc, etc all of these facilities which will be used every day um, in, 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 a, in a training opportunity would also of course support the concerts and bring down the cost of doing major concerts at the Bowl. So we think it's a pretty joined up approach and, and of course with Badminton Centre uh, planned now to be on the East Car Park at the Bowl and of course cycling already uh, well established at the Bowl with some fantastic events we think there's the opportunity to mix sports and the arts and, and get that 365-day-year use.
11: Is the
2: MK Bowl, is it a little bit out of date? In terms of concert venues, you don't get such huge acts that that can fill 65,000. The O2 has kind of detracted a lot, but bands tend to go and play four or five nights there instead of playing a big stadium. Uh, And there are other more modern sporting facilities, aren't there?
28: Well, including up the road at Stadium MK, of course, which for the smaller concerts... And anything up to 30,000, 35,000 would be done so much more effectively at the stadium. But there's something very, very special about the very big events. And Milton Keynes has shown, whether it's Swedish House Mafia only a year or so ago, all the way to the five nights that we did with Robbie Williams of course a few years ago. Um, we've shown that Milton Keynes has the the road infrastructure, the people infrastructure, to be able to make big events work. And the bowl is iconic. You know, some of the greatest artists in the world have played there and whilst those gigs are few and far between, we think it's realistic to be planning for one to two a year and, and of course that will keep that magic there and keep that focus, that public attention but at the same time make sure with the sporting facilities that we're using the bowl every day and making the most of its iconic nature.
2: And does it have a... Do you you genuinely believe it has a, a, a future in terms of sporting events as well, Pete?
28: I I do. I mean, I I, I know myself from from Rugby World Cup work, you know, we're talking about the potential training camp being at the bowl and just about everybody gets excited because this isn't just a piece of green space that could be anywhere in any city around the country. This is a very special piece of green space uh, where you've got the recorded moments of magic from all of those artists playing and it's certainly a place that really gets people's attention. So I think, yes, we could bring big international teams starting with the Rugby World Cup but even after that, their legacy would be um, that we could do other international teams coming to Wembley or, or coming wherever, because our geography works so well. And, of course, for the MK Dons, there's a very important side. That training base would allow us to move away from Wolfton-on-the-Green, freeing that up for more community use, and, and being able to get um, our players concentrated, making the most of the team-based camp opportunity. That's the way we're going to grow the football club. We've already seen how important our academy is to that. We've had nine internationals our academy in the last nine years including five for england Uh, so i think it's really important for the country as a whole that we get that opportunity to develop the young talent that is inevitably in our region
2: pete thank you very much indeed
6: across beds hearts and bucks.
28: this is ian lee
6: bbc three counties radio
2: Now, this morning, we've been talking about life sentences. Should life mean life? The European Court of Human Rights will deliver a ruling later today on an appeal against the whole life sentences given to three convicted murderers from the UK, Jeremy Bamber, Douglas Vinter and Peter Moore. They claim that uh, uh, being forced to spend the rest of their lives behind bars is against their human rights, that it's cruel and degrading. Well, uh, joined now on the line by Ralph from Hertfordshire. Ralph uh, got in touch with us. Good morning, Ralph. Good morning. I know that you have strong feelings about this. Tell me your story. Um,
29: well, 30 years ago, my son was murdered. And uh, I believe the uh, criminal who committed the crime served his prison sentence. He's probably now out enjoying a life of a family of his own. Um, I am still suffering and my family still suffer. After 30 years, nobody has ever asked the victim's families what they feel. The judges sit on their seats and think, well, let's get him out and reform him. But I can never be reformed in my thoughts of agony and pain when I visit my son's grave.
2: Ralph, could you just do me a favour? Sorry to interrupt. Could you just turn your radio off?
29: Oh, yes. Just just because
2: it might confuse us ever so slightly, because there's ever such a slight delay. Thank you for that. Okay. Can I ask, and if, if I go into too much detail, then, then, then just tell me to stop. How old was your son when he was 17. murdered? Seventeen. Seventeen, and this happened 30 years ago. Yes. And do you know, and don't give us any names, but do you know how long the murderer was sentenced to?
29: No, he was... My son was in France at the time, and he was on his way home from picking grapes and that, and uh, he was assaulted and strangled. And uh, I don't know, because it... Uh, all in French and everything. I got his body home after four weeks, uh, and he's buried in half a chair.
2: And how did you get the news that your son had been killed like this?
29: Um, two police officers uh, come to my door one Sunday night and said the body of a young man, believed to be British, and my son had uh, uh, he's had a tattoo. That's how they. Um, got him, but pe- previously before that, I'd been my house had been burgled six months, and the police had all our uh, fingerprints to eliminate any fingerprints they found in the house, and that's how they identified him. I never did see his body, of course, it was a month before we got him home. You know.
2: I'm just trying, you know, I'm I'm a dad, I've got two young boys, and I'm just, uh, I I can't even begin to imagine what that loss feels like. But the the gentleman, or the the person who killed your son, as you say, is probably out, has probably been released.
29: How does that make you feel? Well, probably a bit envious, jealous, I I don't know. Maybe he should have served his life, if life prison. I don't know if he got life imprisonment. He may have got 20 years. But... The, the victims and a lot of people out here in the country who have suffered family loss through murder, we suffer every day. And it, it, we get no release by judges sitting in court saying, never mind, in six years' time you'll be a reformed person, you'll get over it. You never get over it.
2: We spoke earlier on, Ralph, I don't know if you heard, we spoke to Eric Allison, who is uh, the Guardian's prison correspondent uh, yeah. an ex-offender, and he said uh, that, that, that murderers should be given at least the glimmer of hope that maybe one day they might be released.
29: Well, to do the crime again, as, as you said, they come out and murder again. The, every criminal or most criminals go to court and say they're innocent. There's not many who put their hand up and say, yes, I did it and send me to prison. They're all innocent of what they've done until it's proved that they're not innocent. And they seem to think that uh, crime does pay.
2: And this, as you said, this is thirty years ago, this is a life sentence for you, isn't yes. it? You and your family. Yes. How does it affect you now, Ralph?
29: Um, yes, I, I, I live a normal life, as uh, going to work. Or, well, not I've retired now, but doing things. But I still visit and talk to him in the, uh, his grave after. Well, it was 1980 he was. Uh, killed and uh, it's 33 years really I still talk to him and uh, perhaps ask him to forgive me for not looking after him you know to protect him when he needed him. but it's the victims who should have the their say the victims families should be able to stand up and call and say no I don't want him to be released why should he be released I'm not released from the torment and the pain and, and the Taking away my son 's future
2: he'd be fifty years old now wouldn't he yes, your boy,
29: yes, uh, probably a family of his own
2: and and do, you, oh, is, uh, do do you often you know imagine what it would be like if he was still here?
29: Yes, I often wonder if in fact, when he was killed, I used to walk around looking to see if it was him, and i you know that a mistake had been made. Mm and especially when i went to france afterwards um traveled through france a lot every every time you see a back of someone walking down a motorway or a, a street you think well is that my son who's walking down there you you, you, you imagine all kinds of things you see him everywhere but and you never see him you've only seen your heart and your mind if you've committed a crime and you must be able to say to yourself well i put my hands up, I've done it, I deserve the sentence I'm getting.
2: Ralph, you said uh, that you didn't know what had happened to uh, the, the person that murdered your son, because it was all in French and it was 33 years ago, yeah. you didn't know how long he got, you didn't know if he was alive, you didn't know if he'd been released. No.
29: Would it help you to know what happened to the murderer? Uh, not now. Maybe 20 years ago, but not now. Um, there, there, there's a blanket, been drawn over it all, and I just live with the memory, as with my family live with the memory. And friend, even one of his friends still visits his grave on his birthday. Mm. After 33 years, he still visits his grave and puts a, a small flower or something to say, thanks for your friendship, Michael. Um,
2: Ralph, I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and, and sharing yours and Michael's story this morning.
29: Thank you very much for listening to me.
2: Thank you, Ralph. Well, there you go. It's, uh, you couldn't help but be... Uh... Oh, I'm welling up a little bit. You couldn't help but be moved by that, could you? That's Ralph from Hertfordshire,
1: whose son was murdered 33 years ago. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio.
14: We start on the trains where Greater Anglia run with delays of up to 15 minutes. Liverpool Street to and from Hartford East, also Stratford to Bishop Stortford. They've got a signalling problem at Tottenham Hale... No estimate for when service will get back to normal there and it's affecting the Stanford Express services as well. The A6 eastbound, we still have the reports that it's blocked by an accident at the A421 with congestion back along the southern bypass then to the A600 but no recent updates have come in on that one. The A1 still slow toward the Black Cat roundabout southbound. We've also got reports that southbound at Biggleswade, the A1 has been partially blocked. A four-vehicle accident... Around the Biggles Wade North Junction at the Sainsbury's roundabout. Thank you to Patsy who called us on that. The A1M southbound, slow moving from Letchworth at Junction 9 to Stevenage at Junction 7. And then into London, the A1 at Boreham Wood looking busy, Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus. Quite busy on the A10 in Chesant. On the southbound side as well, down toward the M25. The A41 in Aylesbury looking slow, the Woodlands roundabout to the SO roundabout. The A5 a bit slow, Lynch Hill toward Luton Road. Then on the M25, clockwise, you've got queues as you go through the roadwork section. And verily and forsooth delays on the Widdershins side of the 25th motorway. Works in the road may impede your carriage near the hamlet of Enfield. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio.
2: Adam Glynn, you've just earned your wages and I'm going to take off that graffiti I've written about you in the toilets here. Right, 8.47. It's uh, Tuesday the 9th of July. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The European Court of Human Rights will give its ruling this morning on whether Jeremy Bamber and two other murderers should have their life sentences reviewed. Central Bedfordshire Council has halted all new admissions to Mepeshul Care Home following a damning report from the Care Quality Commission. In sport, Aston Villa manager Paul Lambert says he's hugely disappointed after striker Christian Benteke has handed in a transfer request. Well, you just heard the call there from Ralph from Hertfordshire, whose son was murdered 33 years ago. He thinks that life should be life. What do you think? 08459 455 555. We'll speak to Justin Dealey after the latest weather with Elizabeth Razzini.
19: (laughs) Beds, hearts, and bucks weather.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
19: Hello, a very good morning to you once more. Lots more sunshine on the menu for today, and it will last for the rest of the day as well. We've got a light northeasterly breeze. Now, temperatures rising nicely in the sunshine. There has been a bit of mist around. There's still a little bit towards northern areas of Bedfordshire in particular. That should soon clear. I'd just be burnt back by the sunshine, really. And we're talking top temperatures today up to 26 degrees Celsius, um, and that is, uh, well, that's into the and Fahrenheit. It's very warm indeed. Now, as we head through into this evening and overnight, temperatures drop into between 12 and 14 degrees. Quite an uncomfortable night, I think, for some of us. Uh, it could be quite sweaty, I suppose. Um, it will take some time for the temperature to go down, of course. And then we've got some low cloud pushing in from the east overnight tonight. There will be some more mist and fog patches. Again, the worst of that towards eastern areas of Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire. But that should clear later on through the morning. There will be some spells of brightness and sunshine. We'll see the temperatures peak early on through the morning I would say and then gradually it will turn cooler and cloudier into the afternoon never fear the sunshine will be back by the end of the working week along with the high temperatures that's the forecast
1: Every weekday from twelve, Nick Koffer brings you
11: great guests.
16: Julian Clary, welcome to BBC Three Counties Radio. Legendary Genesis guitarist Steve Hackett, Supertramp frontman Roger Hodgson, Carol Decker of Topow
6: fame joins me now. Great conversations. China in your hand is about the fragility of your dreams and that you should be careful what you wish for. Something very addictive
3: about making people laugh is standing on stage and every few seconds getting that hit of a, of a laugh.
1: Nick Nick Coffer. Weekdays from 12. On BBC Three Counties Radio.
2: 08459 455 Always a cracking listen with Nick Coffer. He'll be on later on today. Now. The European Court of Human Rights will deliver a ruling later today on an appeal against the whole life sentences given to three convicted murderers from the UK. Jeremy Bamber, Douglas Vinter and Peter Moore are claiming that denying them any prospect of release amounts to inhuman and degrading treatment, and they should be entitled to a review. Well, Danny Shaw is the BBC's Home Affairs correspondent.
26: Douglas Vinter uh, is a double murderer. He murdered a workmate and then three years after his release in 2008... He stabbed and strangled his wife uh, so he's in prison for the rest of his life. Jeremy Bamber was jailed for life for the murder of five members of his family in 1985 in Essex. And Peter Moore is imprisoned for murdering four gay men within 3 months in 1995. They've all been given whole life tariffs, which means that they will spend the rest of their lives behind bars. Well, Helen
2: Stockford was raped by a man who broke into her home in 2009. He was given 16 life sentences when it was found out he'd carried out the attack whilst out on licence from a previous murder conviction. Helen's attacker recently appealed his sentence, but she believes too much consideration is given to the criminal and not to the victim. When you look back at some of the
18: history of some of the offenders, well, the majority of the offenders of today, I feel they're given too many chances, especially with the parole board and it's victims and the families that are actually suffering. They're given chances after chances, and they just do not seem to be able to live in society normally, not without re-offending.
2: Eric Allison is a former offender and is now The Guardian's prison correspondent. He told me earlier in the show
27: that he doesn't believe people should be written off completely. We don't have a death penalty in this country. We have a prison system, and the aim of that prison system is to rehabilitate and reform people. You know, that's its stated aim. And at the end of last month, there was was almost 84,000 people in prison. And we're saying to them that, you know, we aim to rehabilitate you, all except 40-odd of you. And no matter what happens to you, no matter how old you become, no matter how infirm you become, you could become paralysed. We're not letting you out. But that's not about rehabilitation or reform. That's about pure punishment and pure revenge. And I think we're better than that.
2: Oh, well, shouldn't have done all their murders. Very rarely do I kind of... uh, I don't even have a soapbox, but today I seem to have brought one in with me. Well, the trio have already appeared before three judges in a preliminary version of the European Court of Human Rights, and their case met with some sympathy. And legal expert Joshua Rosenberg told me earlier there is a chance they could be successful. Well, should life mean life? You've got a few minutes to give me a call on this. 08459 505 Justin's been out on the streets of Bed, Hearts and Bucks. Morning, Justin.
7: Hello, Ian. I know that you don't agree with the death penalty, but uh, a lot of people this morning say that life in prison is simply not enough. I've been asking people whether life should mean life, and this is what people had to say.
28: Yeah, I think with all the evidence you get down with DNA, etc., there's more proof today than before if somebody has committed an offence. And we need more of a deterrent. I think if someone does something wrong, they deserve life. They've took a life. So they're lucky to be alive, really, and do life in jail, you know what I mean?
6: If they've killed someone, then sh- they should be killed as well.
4: It should mean life, yeah, of course. Well, I'm talking about anybody who gets life. It, should, it means life. If you murder someone, you're entitled to pay for it.
7: When you hear things like Jeremy Bamber, Peter Moore and Douglas Vinter arguing that their whole life tariff is inhumane... How does that make you feel when you hear that comment? It's inhumane to serve a life sentence.
4: Of course it's ridiculous because they've got everything in their hand. We're paying for it, the taxpayer, for them to get their computers or DVDs, what have you. They've got life in there for, for nothing.
7: Let me ask you this just lastly. Would you prefer that the people we've just mentioned there were killed or would you prefer that they serve no, no, every no. day serve. of their sentence no, to serve
4: the, the, suffer? Yeah, serve the... Serve the, the that the sentence, punish them that way. No use giving him a death sentence. That's too quick. Life should mean life, especially for offences like that. You
7: think there's absolutely no second chances whatsoever? If you've taken another life. No second chance.
25: Certainly in serial killers' instance, they've gone beyond the pale and there's no remission there, so absolutely not. The
7: penultimate
2: gentleman uh, there, Justin, made made a good point, that that if you do give the death penalty, one, you can't do it because we have killed innocent people before, so even though Steve phoned up earlier in the show and said, well, I don't care if one out of ten is innocent, you know, we we should kill them all. That's 10%, that's a pretty bad margin. Also it isn't a punishment, is
7: it? No, no absolutely not. I, th- I think, you know, that the, the, there was a man there in the middle who, who made the point it's far too quick. That That's probably what they want. Uh, and yes, we've all got that perception of what prison is like or with DVDs, with TVs, with game stations. I think the reality... With, with game stations? We, 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 yeah, whatever they call them, computers. Yes. You know, I think the reality is, 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 is a lot different to that. Yep. So I think that would be what they want, make them suffer, but we are still going to make mistakes. Yes, we've come a long way with DNA and technology, but if there's going to be even one mistake, yep. that's one mistake too many. Isn't and it? also people say oh but if someone confesses, yeah. we should they say ah, oh, if, they, if they confess, <laughs> well there have been false confessions
2: extracted from people it, it's just, any risk and it, it, is, it is minute now with DNA and
7: things like that, but any risk means
2: that the death penalty could never
7: work. I, do, I, I can't see, it. I think that, that even experts in this country will all say the same thing yep. I can't ever see that returning. People may be saying this morning on your programme and on the JBS show from 9 o'clock today bring back the death penalty, but in reality in the year 2013 that simply isn't going to happen
2: Justin, uh, uh, great Vox, very interesting thanks very much. Thanks Ian. Cheers my dears, there we go and uh, it, as uh, Justin mentioned there, JVS will be uh, asking, is it inhumane to keep pi- people in prison for life? You can start calling him now if you want, Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Uh, we've got some texts on this. Bill in Milton Keene says, if ever there was an argument for return of the death penalty, it was hearing that father's story. That was Ralph from Hertfordshire. If you missed it, BBC iPlayer um, probably be in the podcast as well at some point this week. It was about, tw- about 25 to 9 this morning. Uh, Ralph from Hertfordshire got in touch. whose son was murdered in France 30 years ago. 33 years ago. Um, and to hear the sadness in his voice... 33 years later. Oh, it was heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Phil has texted in, the whole life-term issue highlights the difference in opinion about the prison system between those in control of it and the general public. They want it to rehabilitate, whereas we want it to be punitive. Well, I, I, I think it should be uh, the, the, the rehabilitative. Is it I'm, I think I'm making up some words this morning, but they fit perfectly. It should be to rehabilitate, but but some people, I think, are beyond rehabilitation. This Vinter chap, who killed someone at work, served nine years, came out three years later, killed his wife in a pretty horrific way, he is beyond rehabilitation. Isn't he? Isn't he? Um, It's inhumane, Nathan in Hemel Hempstead, it's inhumane to kill people to keep them locked up. It's not fair to the public to be at risk from ex-murderers. Um, Janet says, uh, Mr Lee, what glimmer of hope did those murderers give their victims or their families? Um, And uh, Karen says, anyone hearing Ralph uh, talk will have been touched. It was... uh, Oh, it was very sad. And as a dad... And I, I think what I'm learning more and more doing this job and speaking you know, speaking to parents who have lost children is that you never stop worrying about... Them. I worry about my boys terribly. Three and a half, eighteen 18 months. Oh, I'm worrying about them constantly. And that worry never seems to disappear, however old they are. On a lighter note, shall we end on a slightly lighter note? Yes, we shall. Shall we, for goodness sakes? Yesterday, brilliant day, I bought a massive hose. Although, don't buy a 50-metre hose. It's too long. It's too long. If you get one kink in that 50-metre hose... You can't use it. I spent an hour last night unkinking a hose, uh, but uh, had a wonderful afternoon yesterday. With my two boys running around in their pants. Summer for me is two young boys running around in their pants uh, with the hose. It got like a kind of spray gun thing to go on it. So you, instead of just firing up water, it's got a bit of a spray thing with a trigger. Uh, and my boy, three-year-old boy. Spent the entire afternoon going, I'm just going to water the plants, Dada. I, prom- I promise I won't spray you, Dada. Are you sure? Promise. You'd walk up next to him, shoot you straight in the face with a hose. Wonderful. All of us soaking wet and enjoying every minute of it. There you go. That's a slightly better image to end the show on, isn't it?
14: Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs.
6: BBC Three Counties Radio.
14: Some delays on the trains at the moment, I'm afraid. Greater Anglia affected by delays of up to 15 minutes running from Liverpool Street through to Hartford East and between Stratford and Bishop-Stortford. They had a signalling problem at Tottenham Hale. They've got it sorted quite quickly, but they're expecting delays until around quarter to ten. It's affecting the Stanford Express as well if you're making a connection heading for the airport. In Bedford, it looks like the A6 eastbound has cleared after the accident earlier around the A421. The A1 at Roxton, the Black Cat Roundabout, looking slow southbound. Then further southbound, we have reports of an accident at Biggleswade. Partially blocked, apparently a four-vehicle accident at the Sainsbury's Roundabout, Biggleswade North. The A1M then looking slow from Letchworth to Stevenage. The A1 into London, queuing from Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus. The A10 round Chesant is queuing as you come from College Road toward the Winston Churchill Way. M1 southbound, slow from the A505 toward Redbourne. The A41 is busy in Aylesbury. Woodlands roundabout toward the SO roundabout. Then on the M25... Busy both ways through the roadworks and slow anti-clockwise from the M1 to the M4. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank
2: you, Adam. Excellent stuff this morning. That's it. That's Shillot. Don't forget you can listen again on the BBC iPlayer or go and download the podcast. JBS is up next
1: until tomorrow from me. Ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio.
6: This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank
3: you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JBS show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's Tuesday and on
30: today's